0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode sixty-three of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. His name is Matt Feuerstein, and we are back to cover yet another episode sixty-three episodes, Matt. It just for some reason this time that number just popped out at me. There's no special significance to that number. I just it's one of those episodes where I was like, man, we're we've done sixty-three of these. That's that that's a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not as much as 64 though. You have to admit uh, that.
0: Yeah. I and mean, so, this be our new ritual is just every episode saying, well, this isn't as much as the next number.
1: Yeah, because it, it's it's a it's a message of hope that we will be here to do another episode one day.
0: <laughs> one day, uh, ev- One day eventually these will stop and that will be a, a, definitely a day the world mourns, but I ha- I had not- a dream I
1: had a dream last night. Um Completely unrelated to anything, but there was it was a wrestling dream. It was a dream that there was a wrestler that uh, had the same exact name as me, and it was like, where did this person come from? And they were in some big like ladder match. I was really looking forward to it to see myself in a ladder match, and then it was going to be on a pay per view event. And then I was watching, and they put the ladder match on the pre show, and they did all this stuff. And then I was like, all right, I guess the uh, the ladder match is over. And then, and then when I when – I, so I'm not going to watch anymore. And then I read the results of the pay-per-view and I found out that they – that was like just the, the setup ladder match. And they had the real ladder match later on in the pay-per-view and I missed it and I was so disappointed. They, they, they topped the original ladder match on the same night and I was – the guy with my <laughs> name was in it.
0: Pre-show ladder match. What the, what the heck, Matt? That's, How about two, it, two, two ladder
1: group. matches on the same show with somebody with the same name as me?
0: truly, truly, the pre show part is the most unbelievable part of that entire dream. the rest very plausible.
1: All of my wrestling dreams are complete nonsense.
0: <laughs> well, if you like complete nonsense, you should listen to the pro wrestling only podcast that oh.
1: that's, a,
0: that's, that's I did not know um that 's a great network with a lot of great shows we 've been playing it for a long time because they have a lot of great shows and we 've been on it for a long time. But as always, we should always mention if you're listening on the Pro Wrestling Only podcast network, we also have if you just look at any of your favorite podcasts, wherever you look for your podcasts, wherever you subscribe, we also just have our, our own Through the Years feed now. If you want your solo feed, but why wouldn't you want a bunch of other really good wrestling podcasts um, in the same feed? But some people requested it, so we have both ways. So if you're listening on one or the other, obviously you must be right now. Just know that you have the other option available. You can listen with a bunch more shows in the same feed, or. Or you can have just us, or you know, subscribe to both. Just drive those numbers up, but um, <laughs>
1: especially if you're in Denmark, we want to get up to number thirteen.
0: Yes, if we could be the number thirteen po- wrestling podcast in Denmark, we can rise to the ne- next spot. That would mean the world to us, I think. But um, you will truly uh, be great. You will truly oh,
1: be great Danes, and you will truly be my dog if you uh, <laughs> if you get us to that level.
0: So, uh, as always, we cover. Uh, on every show, what happened in the world of Ring of Honor between events. So this time we have a few little news stories, Matt. Um, the first one would be the Ring of Honor Newswire from April 5th, 2005. Uh, I My memory is always awful, so I always lean on you on this stuff. So I'm just going to read this Newswire first. Um, they write in the Newswire, Spanky has challenged Brian Danielson for a rematch of their classic last Saturday. Danielson says right now he is focused on homicide, but he will grant Spanky a rematch down the road. I don't think they ever had that rematch, did they? At least in Ring of Honor. I, I don't think they ever wrestle again after the the show we just covered which was a uh, Best of American Super Juniors.
1: No, definitely not in ROH because um by the so Danielson goes away for a while in May and by the time he gets back, Spanky has already resigned with WWE, so they do not have the chance to have that match. I assume that they were planning on it, but yeah, I guess just timing didn't work out with Danielson's uh excursion to uh, europe and spanky's return to wwe
0: yeah it would have been a something we probably should have done if i had known there was going to be enough of them but there's probably been a, a good solid eight or ten like roh matches that probably been really cool to see that were either teased or announced that never happened and several involving
1: low-key <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> exactly but uh this one isn't essential, obviously, because what we just saw it, but it would have been cool to see these guys wrestle another time, given that their last match was really, really good, but was I just thought that was interesting because I didn't, I didn't even remember that they had teased that they might have been doing a second one another one, but we never get that. Um, next up, speaking of things I had forgotten. The Pro Wrestling Torch around this time wrote, There have been rumors going around that Jack Evans is going to take some time off from wrestling. Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky issued the following message regarding Evans' status in the Ring of Honor message board forum, Quote, Everything with Jack is fine. He might miss this weekend in Boston, I'll find out tomorrow, but he will be on every show after that, so don't worry. Jack is a very valuable member of the Ring of Honor roster and has really shined in every match given to him, whether it is Scramble Page, Scramble Cage, not Page, the tag in Dayton, or its recent singles versus Spanky and Shelley. So that's another thing. I I th- there was no more information on this in the in the article on the Torch. Obviously, I can't the Ring of Honor forum. You it's long gone. But I didn't. I don't know why there was rumors at this time that Jack Evans might be taking time off from wrestling. But apparently, there were.
1: Well, I mean, I I I, you know, I haven't checked Cage mat, so I don't remember if this is because he was taking time off or because he was just go he was traveling or doing something else. But he was not on he was not on any ROH shows in July, August, or September of two thousand and five. He did take time off from ROH. So I'm not sure if that was I gotta check I guess we gotta check Cage Mass to see if that was time off from wrestling or just time in you know maybe in you know in other areas. I'm not sure which.
0: And you know, like Gabe said, like I really I really do think one of the things that has emerged from us re-watching like the first quarter of two thousand five is just like how Jack Evans probably one of the MVPs of the first quarter of 2005 even he's, he's not always in like the most pushed matches just his performances he's had a bunch of memorable performances and just yeah it's interesting it it was i always you know always felt like he could have had more like the fact that he and Roderick Strong never got a tag title run and stuff like that you know and yeah so him leaving for a few months during this year probably explains maybe some of that you know maybe derails a bit of the momentum but
1: yeah and and I'm looking and he did he did wrestle a few matches in July um and and a couple of matches in and and a few matches in September not many but he he wrestled not at all in August so it does seem like he did scale back a bit and uh and several of his matches in July of 2005 were for Pinnacle Championship Wrestling in Washington um so you know maybe he was more trying to stick close to home it de- he definitely slowed down his uh his working uh for those few months but did not completely go away from wrestling
0: that's interesting it's my great shame as a pacific northwest guy that i never made the travel to see any of those guys like danielson and evans in in washington state i i I should have matt i was just too lazy i should have but um that uh, brings us to a, another story that we've been kind of, you know, talking a little bit about over the last few months because kind of alluding, I think maybe to something like this, but uh Samoa Joe had a real kind of, Career crisis of faith during this time. We'll go to the Observer where they updated this over the course of a few different issues. It's kind of a summary of something Samoa Joe uh, wrote in his live journal, but I, I just took the Observer recaps because I think it's just a good summary rather than r- reading the whole things. But if you do Google Samoa Joe live journal and go back to this time period, I think of like April or March uh, 2005, you can find still these <clears throat> original posts that are being referenced. But anyway. The Observer wrote, Samoa Joe on his website talked about being very concerned about his future in the business and wondering if it's for him far more wrestlers than you think regularly go through this, but few make it public in Joe's case. It is understandable. How can you possibly have better matches than he has had this past year on the indie level? Yet he's still where he was and in a sense lower because he's not even the top guy in ring of honor. He's still not getting any regular bookings with new Japan and WWE has shown no interest in him because he doesn't have the look that they want. Even with the high recommendations from McFoley. So then update like a week later, Observer writes, Samoa Joe is okay now, according to an updated website post. The story he said that made him worry about his career was after all the months of helping out the new Japan Los Angeles dojo, he was asked about a t- he he has asked about a tour with the group, which he had been led to believe he'd be starting with in March. He was turned down, and his feeling was, as hard as he's worked, WWE doesn't like his body type, and New Japan doesn't think he's worth it, and he was frustrated about spinning his wheels and not getting to the major, so to speak. This past week, New Japan came back to him and is going to start using him, even though he's going to start at a low-money figure. Then, update again, a week later, Observer writes, Samoa Joe noted that on April 27th, he turned down the New Japan offer for his first tour with the company. He said they had reneged on their deal and turned a small opportunity into a ridiculous one. So, yeah, you can go and see this. It happens over like a two- or three-week period, but like Joe's basically like, at one point, you know, he writes, you know, he very down kind of journal posts where he's like, I don't know what my future in wrestling is. And then he kind of comes back. and It's like, well, they're giving me a very small deal, but it's a start. And then he comes back again. And he's And he's just like, well, basically what Dave said, you know, they went back on the deal and I'm not going to take what they're offering now. And obviously Joe sticks around and, you know, within the year he's within with TNA and but Again, we, we talked about this a few times. It's still crazy that uh, Samoa Joe, you know, who I would argue is probably one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point. As, you know, burning hot peak in terms of being just an amazing talent, you know, and the two biggest wrestling companies in the world have no interest in him. And, you know, he's working at this point. You have to remember, as a trainer in New Japan's LA Dojo, he's right under their nose and they still have no interest in him.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you – I feel like it would be surprising if he didn't become completely discouraged, you know, with all that going on. You know, it would be like, wow, that's a lot of faith that the guy has. Um but yeah, you know, people, you know, ROH fans at the time really resented TNA. You know, they they, you know, fuck TNA was a a major chant at ROH events, but you know, we have TNA to thank for Samoa Joe's wrestling career continuing and being as good as it was, right? Because they kind of saved they kind of saved him by um because, you know, he was, he was wrestling for TNA by June. This was April that all this stuff was being written, right? So, yeah. um So, you know, they, they, you know, and so everything we got later that year, the next few years with Samoa Joe, you know, his entire run, like, the, the fa- you know, the fact that he's probably, the, even the fact that he's in WWE today, you know, getting TV time, making a good living there, um, is probably all thanks to the fact that TNA signed him up at that time. So we could at least thank them for that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating to think back at, I mean, the wrestling business is still very frustrating as a fan, probably, and probably as a wrestler, but man, at that time, the fact that you had someone who was so clearly the best and he couldn't get a full-time contract with anyone that's, it's, it's, it still makes me angry, actually.
0: It, 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 that's, that's a really interesting point you raised too, because I didn't really think of it that way, but like I should have, but, um, You know, like, does Joe stick around if, you know, TNA doesn't sign him within months? You know, like – in this and and like his final live journal post from this month he kind of said something to the effect where you get the impression that he's just going to stick it out and that he got pep talks from a lot of people including Gabe and Punk it sounds like and he was just going to keep going and within you know a few months as you mentioned he's he's with TNA but i wonder like let's say TNA doesn't sign him and let's say he just keeps being like a top indie name during a time when you know indie wasn't still probably the hugest money in the world there was no you know you, the merch opportunities weren't as good the, maybe it wasn't quite as vibrant like if he doesn't get signed in any of the big companies, does he stick it out another year? Does he stick it out another two years if he doesn't get like a better, more prominent deal with a company like TNA? I mean,
1: it's hard to say. I mean, you know, most of those guys did stick it out. Like Brian Danielson, for instance. I, I, because I remember following all this stuff back, you know, when it was going on, Samoa Joe's, you know, crisis of faith and and all that stuff. But um, Brian Danielson was going through the same thing at the time. Yeah, and you know, he did not get signed in 2005 in fact he did not get signed until 2009 um you know i mean i guess roh had contract at that point so he did have steady you know a steady gig and all that stuff and but obviously joe was going to have a steady gig also but um but you know brian danielson stuck it out for a few years i'm you know it seems pretty likely that joe probably would have too i mean when you're that great at something the odds that you just give it up If you're making a living seem low but you know there's also the other side of it which is like if you're that great at something and you're not advancing in your career i mean there was really nowhere for him to go in roh as far as like a new challenge a new upward trajectory he was already he already spent a year as basically the the legend of the company and he could still be that but do you I mean as a as a professional you want to continue to challenge yourself and and improve your stature and do new things and reach new heights and you know it's it's hard to know it's it's hard to know like you said what he would have done um but, yeah,
0: you look on his, yeah. at his perspective, from his perspective at this point, you know, it's not like he could have gotten any more buzz on like the internet and among hardcore fans and on the newsletters that he was getting at this point. And again, he was right under New Japan's nose and WWE, he had Mick Foley, you know, recommending him. So it's not like, it's not like he wasn't on their radar. He was on both companies' radar and they were outright just saying like, we're still not interested. So, yeah, from I could see from his perspective going like there's not much more I can do. It's not like, oh, I'm still not like a big enough name on the indies. They haven't heard about me yet. It's like clearly people there had heard about him in both companies and for some reason they still were just like, no, he's overweight. And, yeah, it's, I, I I could see being incredibly frustrated. But things turned out. Pretty well for Joe. I I wish, I think he could have done even better. You know, I still think he could have had that big WWE run when he was in his physical prime, but he he had a pretty good career. So, um, that brings us to the Ring of Honor show we are covering tonight. And that is Stalemate. Stalemate took place April sixteenth, two 2005 at the National Guard Armory in Dorchester, Massachusetts, from a reported crowd of 400 fans. Not a great crowd for Ring of Honor, and they've been changing a lot, so we'll talk about that for just a sec here. First, we'll go to The Observer. Dave wrote, the show only drew 400 fans in yet another new Boston area location. It may be a while before they go to Boston because of the belief that they've hurt the market badly by switching locations so often. In addition, Ring of Honor and Boston promoter Jim Quinlan have parted ways. There were a lot of reasons, ultimately financial, on both sides. He'll be bringing in Jersey All Pro to Braintree on um the fifth of the the twenty-first of a. Uh, G- May, I think, yes. Um, Then we go to PW Insider. They have a slightly different view on that same story. Mike Johnson writes... Local Ring of Honor Massachusetts promoter Jim Quinlan, who has handled the promotions events in New England since they first began running there in 2002, departed Ring of Honor after yesterday's event. When contacted about departing on Sunday afternoon, Quinlan said the decision to leave was his as he has a family illness to deal with that he has been very taxing on his time. He said that he saw Ring of Honor, carry, Ring of Honor owner Kerry Silken off at the airport and all was well between them as it was an amicable split. So kind of a two different things there, where Dave's saying it's kind of financial issues, and he's actually going to be promoting another prominent Northeast Indy in the area, and then the PW Insider saying, ah, oh, well, my family relative is sick, which sounds maybe a bit more like just trying to smooth things over a bit. But
1: yeah, I mean, well, I mean, be- ROH, I mean, ROH would was coming to Boston what once every three months, so I, you know, if he's booking other stuff, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to. Say that there wasn't a family illness, but it does, it does, booking Ring of Honor doesn't seem like a full-time job in the Boston area at that time, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
0: And we only get one more uh, Ring of Honor show this year, I believe, after this one in, in the Boston area, and then we get the long year plus, um, Drought from from Ring of Honor in Boston. And in fact, Gabe kinda talks talks maybe we see some of the clouds coming here because Gabe gave a quote to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Gabe's a policy book of Ring of Honor, of course. in Case you had forgotten. In case you just joined on episode sixty three and wonder what we mean when we say Gabe, just always wonder who's tuning in for the first time. But Gabe gave a quote to the torch. He says We had something like 13 building changes, and that pretty much killed the market for us. I don't blame the fans one bit, he said. Locations were moved after tickets were purchased. Buildings were announced and then changed and changed again. Basically, everything beyond our control that could go wrong with buildings went wrong. Right now, we are trying to find a stable building that we can call home so we can start to rebuild the market. We do have some very good possibilities The promoter situation is no big deal, as we now handle the promoting end of things in just about every town we run in-house. Yes, we have local help, but we handle most of the responsibilities of the local promoter at the main office. So basically... We now have to find a stable home and start to build trust again in all the fans that were frustrated with the constant building changes. We have a great fan base up there now, and as a fan base, we can definitely build on again. You guys were great on Saturday, and we all really had fun because of you, and we really appreciate your support. I think that is why you saw one of the top shows, if not the best show, Ring of Honor has ever pre- presented in Boston. So, gay kind of putting a rosy face on but the fact is, we get one more show a few, a bunch of months down the line, which is, uh, I believe this year's Survival of the Fittest, which, if you look at the card on paper, it's not a particularly sexy kind of card that will get a lot of ticket sales. In fact, you know, this card on paper is far stronger in terms of like marquee matches. And then, yeah, they, uh, obviously do not do well enough again to come back. And over a year, they basically, the market dies. And probably, you know, it, it's kind of sad because this was Ring of Honor's, um, first non-Philly market you know this was the very first city they expanded to and it was you know for a while there it was basically just a Philly Boston rotation and it's going to be a market now we're going to see soon that's basically gets taken out of the rotation
1: it is true though that the uh, the crowd was really really good and they've had some really bad Boston crowds I think back to war of the wire in particular uh, in just terms of just in terms of their like reactions not in terms of their numbers obviously um, but this this was a particularly enthusiastic live crowd, which uh, helped the show a lot, in my opinion.
0: And Matt, you know what the, I think the key is is this was a Boston show. Joe Gagney missed, and I think you take Joe Gagney out of the equation, things pick up. And- yeah,
1: everybody everybody normally just stares at Joe Gagney like just shaking their heads, and they're, they're, <laughs> so they're too distracted to make any noise.
0: Um, <laughs> the master an- of the Thunderdome. Joe yeah, Gagne. another
1: thing I want to mention about this show, Stalemate. Uh, this is a. Uh, another example of why it must suck to have to name every single show separately um because it's like you know classically wrestling shows are like wrestle slam and and battle brawl and you know and then and then they're just like well uh this is a, a, a stalemate we're gonna it's kind, of, it's kind of a stalemate i guess like, they it's talked just,
0: about an honorable mention where i believe that this was one of those shows where they were like we don't have a name for this could you guys on the message board name the show and this is what they chose like <laughs> this was the winning pick cool yeah i mean in a way it's a very fitting name yeah it makes sense it, it makes sense yeah, that's
1: because true. there are
0: two different stalemates of so to speak but on the other hand yeah stalemate is like no one is excited for like a stalemate like, oh, oh boy, I'm going to see a draw here. You know, like even when um, Pumpkin and, and uh, Joe went to their first big 60 uh, minute draw, they didn't call that like time limit draw. They called the show world title classic. You know, they didn't even mention that it was a draw here. They're outright just saying stalemate.
1: They, they, they should have called it Slam. <laughs> well, I, um, wonder, I wonder how people would think of this show differently if that was what it was called. <laughs> it completely changes everything, Matt. Yeah. If it's Wrestle Slam.
0: But uh, we open um, Not Wrestle Slam with, backstage with Colt Cabana. He is sitting at a table with a, diet, a very prominent Diet Mountain Dew. He's in a double-stakes four-cornered match tonight, which we'll explain the rules later. And he says he's never – never, he's, Colt says never has double-stakes been so important since Al's beef offered two for two ninety nine. I wonder if that was a real thing because holy cow, that is cheap. Anyway, uh, Colt says he has a chance to win a shot at either the pure or the world title tonight. And he says both are important to him. He then mocks his opponents in the match tonight, including Alex Shelley's weird haircut and Nigel McGuinness's British accent. At this point, uh, Colt then says it's time for Good Times, Great Memories, and he brings on returning guest, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, Bobby comes in. He says he's hearing a lot of good things about Colt all over the place. Uh, Bobby liked Colt's fa- fake British accent, so they riff on that for a little bit. CM Punk then quickly interrupts. He complains that Heenan's been on a lot on Good Times, Great Memories, as in two times, and uh, he never has. Punk says Heenan is the best manager ever, and he asks if Bobby could be in his corner tonight to kind of back him up against the Prince Nana and the embassy, be his insurance policy. Uh, Bobby says he just came here to watch Colt, but sure, he'll do it because Colt helped him get rid of Cornette, so he kind of owes him. Bobby then tells Colt to put Punk on his show next time. Punk says he equals ratings. So it's kind of funny because the whole idea of um, Good Times Great Memories is that uh, Colt always you know, can't get – punk to do the show and they kind of played up later and at the end of the run but here you have one where ac- punk's actually being like hey why don't you put me on your show i want to be on your show but um yeah just a standard uh little segment not much to it i would say yeah. really yep anything to say
1: um there was there was uh, some stuff that was kind of um, problematic. Uh, there was they were talking about Nana, like they were making fun of Nana's accent, they were uh, and a name, I mean, and they, they were saying like that name sounds like a grandmother. And then Gabe I and mean, Cabana says he knows what Nana is another word for. And I was like, uh, is this both both racist and homophobic? Yes, I think it is. Um, <laughs> 2005. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just this stuff still stands out to me because, you know, I'm so woke.
0: Yes. The wokest of wokes, man.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, this you could tell this was, you know, just right, right off the bat, this was not Heenan's best effort here on this entire night. He was not giving the full Heenan, even compared to what he was doing on the other shows he was on.
0: I mean if you've listened to guys talk about this that, you know, Bobby may have uh, – like I was listening to the An Honorable Mention, the other big Ring of Honor podcast. I was listening to another episode about, about the show and they always mention when Heenan comes up that, you know, on these shows it seemed like he was perhaps imbibing in the drink. And when he came to a show like this, maybe he didn't remember a lot of people that he had met multiple times. and You know, he does kind of seem, you know, like – He's kind of going through the motions, doing the cl- like, like when Ring, when uh, Bobby does the very gracious putting over Ring of Honor or putting over wrestlers, you always get the vibe that he's, he would do that on any show. Like, it doesn't seem very personal or genuine. Like, it seems he's gracious, but it's not like you could, it's not like Mick Foley where you can kind of believe, yeah, he maybe when he's talking about actually watching CM Punk versus Samoa Joe that you can kind of believe that, you know what, he probably did actually watch at least one of those matches.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's treating this as an appearance on an indie show versus like a Ring of Honor appearance.
0: But uh, we got elsewhere at this point to uh, somewhere else backstage where Homicide and Julius Smokes are standing in front of a very big map. I'm always fascinated by what they find in the background of these, you know, armories and all sorts of stuff. Just a big old map behind these guys. Uh Homicide says he's going to win the best of five with Brian Danielson tonight, three matches to one. There's going to be no game five in this best of five series. He says if Danielson is the dragon, then he's the slayer. Smoke says Danielson isn't Godzilla, he's Puff the magic dragon. Again, not much to this, but just well, good, quick little good, promos. Good,
1: good references to famous yeah. dragons. <laughs> but 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 It'll is he trying to say that Danielson is a weed smoker because <laughs> I think from reading his his book, I think he's probably not. But I also no. don't know. What do I know?
0: Hasn't Danielson also said though he'd be interested in trying mushrooms? So
1: yeah, it's uh, a yeah, it's a different thing though. I don't know. Matt,
0: what's going to happen to our innocent boy? Is he going to go all Matt Seidel on us?
1: Yeah. I well, mean, I mean, the guy who's saying it is named Julius Smokes. <laughs> Maybe he wishes that Dra- that Danielson was Puff the magic dragon so they could be <laughs> friends together.
0: Oh. Aww. Aww. So um, next up, we get our opening match of the show. Vordell Walker defeats Kevin Steen via pinfall in eight minutes, four seconds, after he hits the, terno- the Tornado Uranagi. Now, Matt, I'm going to ask your on this. Uh, we'll get to – there's a big story that happens at the show concerning Kevin Steen we'll get to after we talk about the match. But um, I'll just say before going to your thoughts, Kevin Steen really does not like this match. What did you think about it? Do, do you agree with Kevin Steen about his own match here?
1: This match generally gets a very bad rap. Um, a lot of people think this is a really crappy match. I did not think it was that bad. I, I thought it was, you know, an okay opener. Like I, I don't, I, I watch it and I don't really see what was so terrible about it. I, you know, I mean, Kevin Steen is not his best performance, obviously, and Vordell Walker was not as great as he was being hyped up to be. This was a very indie match. You know, they did a lot of moves. There wasn't much of a story. There was some very awkward Kevin Steen crowd work in the match where, like, he was working the crowd but, like, kind of at random times and not really projecting any kind of anything specific as a character. Like, he would just stop and just say something to the crowd. You couldn't always hear what it was. Um, At one time, he goes up to the top rope and he yells, Top rope, baby! which i wish i wish like he just kept that as a catchphrase and he was still saying it now <laughs> we'll know, like,
0: into, there's another incredible non catchphrase catchphrase i'll get to later in the show which a fan says that uh, this is a great show for those kinds of things i
1: think yeah um but like you know some of the moves look cool like I, I don't know like it it seemed like they were they had high energy the crowd was really into it like i think that's part of it just being a um being a good crowd you know they were they were just up for the show and that helped but i don't know I, I you know they start out with like walker being an immovable object steen's trying to knock him down and eventually succeeds you know walker does you know he does a big like sto and a, and a clothesline suplex and the crowd the crowd's actually appreciating it um you know and he, and he and he does a lot of good moves he uh um uh walker does an enziguri to kind of crotch steen on the top rope um i guess that was after the uh top rope baby part of the match um <laughs> but there there was actually one weird spot that i i've never seen before it was, seemed unnecessary but i don't know i I still liked it which was so walker was like um basically steam did a sunset flip and was trying to pull down walker but walker escapes it by doing a backflip and then doing like this wacky side schoolboy thing for two um but you know the, the, the crowd is solidly behind Wa- uh, walker at one point steen very sloppily attempts kind of an up and over in the corner and walker catches him and steen escapes and goes for the package pile driver walker escapes and does his swinging rock bottom thingy that you mentioned for the win mm-hmm. um and it was all action I, you know it, it was decent is what i would say i i i see that it was not great i see that the guys looked green, um, probably greener than Kevin Steen actually was, which is probably why he doesn't like the match, but I did not think this on its own was a bad match. I've seen far worse matches in ROH, um, and like I said, the crowd seemed to be having fun. Um, I, I know what you're going to refer to as far as the uh, instances in the match uh, that, that are um, uh, interesting and stuff, but... I'll just note something semi-related to it, because uh, CM Punk and Dave Prezak are on commentary, which is quite the breath of fresh air. But Punk is dissing Steen on commentary again. He talks about Walker being picked by Joe to be in the trios tournament by saying nobody picked Kevin Steen to be in that tournament. And then he also calls Mr. Wrestling a, quote, debatable nickname and says, what did the fans in Montreal know about anything? So he was definitely on Kevin Steen again. Um, but we don't know the half of it <laughs> until you tell yeah. your story.
0: <laughs> But, as you know, Matt, I am so relieved because I thought, like, when I was reading, like, the recaps of this, you know, and listening to people talk about this match, like you said, it's kind of famous for people thinking it's a really bad match and Kevin Steen hating it. And I thought I was going to be, like, the crazy guy here. I agree. It's a perfectly... It's average. It's just average. But you know, quite frankly, when you use the reputation had me thinking this was going to be just like a complete clusterfuck. And I would say these two. It looks like they don't really have chemistry. There are definitely some awkward moments. That top rope Enziguri. You that Enziguri when Kevin seems on the top rope. You mentioned I felt like. Uh, um, uh, Steen had to wait way too long for uh, for Vordell to get there, and there was a couple things like that that didn't look great, and I just don't think these two really meshed well together, but the moves were fine. They didn't do anything like a real crazy botch, and it was like decent action, and it only went eight minutes. It, It wasn't a great it wasn't even a good match, but it wasn't a horrible match by any means. It's not like the crowd shit on or anything. No, they liked,
1: they liked it. <laughs> they definitely yeah, liked so, it. So that, that's success right there.
0: Yeah. So maybe it is one of those cases where, you know, like you were saying, maybe, you know, Kevin Steen knows he could do better. But you know just because he he knows he could do better doesn't mean this was absolutely terrible he came but off like, had... he
1: came off like a pretty like newish indie guy, and I think he probably wouldn't have considered himself that new at this point you know he was already getting pushes in other promotions, so I think that's probably you know he he didn't probably didn't want to be seen exactly on w- walker's level since Walker actually was pretty new um that I mean that's just me psychoanalyzing someone i've never met, so maybe that's <laughs> completely wrong but that that's what may, would make sense to me but but
0: quite frankly i thought like he looked better than um vordell walker in this match even though he didn't look great like vordell can't do a bridge on a german suplex he uh kind of has some some slaps and standing switches that i didn't think looked particularly great although he does do some cool stuff like he does this big kind of crotch lift suplex which I, which i thought looked pretty cool but i mean again um like you know vordell walker's the guy they were hyping up as the uh, like you know, oh, this is a, the biggest prospect in wrestling. And to me, you know, Kevin Steen, you know, outshine him here. And Kevin Steen's the one that ever since has been like, yeah, this match was shit. Well, I was like, well, uh, well, maybe, maybe that's why he made it and Vordell Walker didn't. Maybe he just think he has higher standards for himself. Who knows? Although maybe Vordell Walker didn't like this match either. Who knows? But. The bigger story is not this eight minute match that most people don't remember. The bigger story is what happened on and around the show, because on the show backstage doesn't make the DVD, obviously. Um, it, it, Kind of a big confrontation happened, and so I did my research. Kevin Steen, as I've mentioned before, has done 800 shoot interviews, so what I did on this was I watched the clips from a, a couple of the shoot interviews, the RF video one and the SmartMark video one, and I've kind of written a recap of the stories where I've kind of basically – his stories don't really divulge, but you know depending on when he tells a story, you get a few different details, so basically – What I'm about to read is basically my kind of amalgamation of two different tellings of the story, but I should note that in both those tellings, nothing contradicts itself. I just tried to get all the details in here. So this is Steen's version of what happened. Steen called his match with Vordell Walker terrible. He says, says before he started in Ring of Honor, Gabe Sapolsky asked him if he could wrestle in a singlet because he didn't want people wrestling in a shirts on his Ring of Honor shows. In one of these shoots, Steen at that point correctly notes that Homicide and others have wrestled in Ring of Honor in T-shirts. But Steen said, I, I just told him, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll wrestle in a singlet. He said, I got a logo added to my wrestling singlet and just worked in that uh dean says wrestling in a singlet was fine but he felt it just wasn't him he says he knows it sounds stupid he says some will say it's him trying to hide the fact that he's fat but he says look everyone knows i'm fat Um, it's not that he says i I wrestled in a singlet in pwg and people in pwg actually told me to wear the shirt and they even said i looked better in it um steen says i know it's weird but the t-shirt just gives me a lot of confidence i guess it's kind of like a security blanket you kind of get the vibe When you watch Steen talk about this, he says he thinks he looks more intimidating wearing the T-shirt. So Steen says at this point, after a couple of months of Ring of Honor, he asked Gabe, look, can I wrestle with the T-shirt now? Uh, Gabe apparently said, fine, yeah, whatever. is Is how The very enthusiastic response Steen says Gabe gave him. But Steen says, I don't think it was fine, yeah, whatever, because Gabe must have went and told CM Punk based on what happens a little bit later. So then Steen gives a bit of background on his relationship with Punk at this point. He says, me and Punk were fine at this time. We weren't best of friends by any means, but we had had a few interactions with each other. Uh, he says, I was already friends with Colt Cabana at this point. And he tells the one interaction before this that may have not been so good was at an earlier uh, at an indie show. <clears throat> Punk saw a poster with Super Dragon on it and just said – Who's this fucking Mark? And Steen, you know, at this point was already friends with Super Dragon, said, oh, actually, that's that's Super Dragon. He's really good. And he says, Punk just said, whatever, and kind of walked away. So, and Steen kind of looking for maybe prior reasons why there might be some friction. That's like the only thing he could come up with. So then cut to the day of this show, Stalemate. On the way there, Steen decides he's going to wrestle in the singlet against Furdell. He just decides, uh, you know, even though he doesn't like wrestling it just in the singlet, he already started wrestling in Ring of Honor in the singlet, so why would he just change all of a sudden? So then he gets to the show. I think he said at this show, it might have been an earlier show, but I think he said at this show, Austin Aries and Punk both have a conversation with him for like, why would you want to wear a T-shirt? And Steen says, I wondered why they gave a shit. And he says, I pointed out that Punk wrestled in basketball shorts. And I I said, that's the same thing as me wrestling in a T-shirt. Steen just says, well, they disagreed about that. They do not think that Punk wrestling in basketball shorts is the same as me wrestling in a T-shirt. So then at some point before the show starts, Punk apparently gets on this, the the Armory's PA system and says, Kevin Steen, this is God. You're a pro wrestler. Don't wear a T-shirt. Steen says everyone laughed at this, including himself. Steen says, though, later before the show starts, he's pissing in a urinal and Punk saddles up next to him to start to pee. So Steen just turns to him to come break the ice and says, so you're God now? And, Punk, and Steen says Punk says to him, always have been, And just abruptly leaves. And Steen says, Punk must have had the quickest pee ever. He said, like, apparently, Punk starts to pee, apparently. Steen says this back to him. And Punk just stops and leaves, apparently, which, this is getting weird. So, anyway... Cut to after the Wardell-Walker match, Steen again calls the match abysmal, so he's in, you know probably not in the best mood. Um, he walks back through the curtain, Punk is a couple feet away, stretching, staring, and he says he's staring right at me for some reason. So Steen just turns to him and says, he said, kind of just intent as a joke, Steen says, I said to him, are you happy now? You know, referring to the fact that he wrestled the match without a t-shirt. He says Punk at this point immediately – he said he did something weird. He says Punk immediately just starts looking around like he's trying to see who's taking notice of them. And then Steen says I immediately knew what he was going to do. He was going to yell at me. And I tell him like just don't do it, man. You don't have to. And he says Punk just said to him really quietly. He says, no, I have to. And he said it was almost like Punk was saying to him like just bear with me. I I have to do this. And I I get the impression that what he's saying is almost like Punk felt like he had to just as – the locker room leader or something i'm not sure so he says that at this point punk proceeded to scream at him chew him out in front of the entire locker room steen says i just apologize i ended up shaking his hand and then the next day apparently online it got reported all over the internet that they got into a fist fight all this stuff steen says nothing like that happened we he, you know, punk just screamed at me after i made that comment and we made up right there so you know i, I saw that's the whole story basically i should mention that both times steen is uh told the story in shoots that i've seen it's always in the context of like this was way overblown me and punk are fine in fact i think we get along better now than we did then and everything like when people bring up the stuff like you know punk was really shitting on you on commentary during this area like steen always plays it down like oh i thought it was fine i thought you know when he was saying i was a dangerous wrestler i thought great that makes me look intimidating like like nothing about this in these shoots is steam being like what an asshole punk was it's always steam very much playing it down but at the same time i really do think that these stories make punk look like an asshole especially because as steen you know said you know punk up until a few shows earlier was wrestling in giant basketball shorts that people used to make fun of punk for wearing but and, and like you again point to homicide wrestled in a t-shirt no one yeah, i was, I was gonna politics. say
1: who i was gonna say who main evented this show and the last one and the next one and the one after that and the one before all that like what's the name of that guy and what does he wear every single match <laughs>
0: Yeah. It, it, it's weird. It's just so, Matt, I, I, I would just say, and we've mentioned this a bit before, but that was really a big deal at, at, at in this era was P, a lot of people saying, you know, Kevin Steen, why is he wrestling in a t-shirt? Kevin Steen is fat. Kevin Steen will never make it. And I have to admit, even I, who was a Kevin Steen fan, thought like, as long as Kevin Steen is that overweight and wrestles in a t-shirt, he'll never make it. Like he'll never get signed by WWE. And I happily was completely proven wrong. Only did he not lose the weight. I mean, for a long term, he's, he's, his weight's fluctuated. He still wrestles as, you know, a fairly well pushed guy to this day in WWE, wearing the t-shirt that people in the indies like shamed him for. And yeah, I, I feel like, look, do shirts look the most professional in wrestling? No, but it also depends on the wrestler, and it's also not a deal breaker if you're really good. Like, does anyone feel like Homicide is less intimidating because he wrestles in t-shirts? I, I don't think so.
1: Well, first of all, don't blame yourself for not for betting that Kevin Steen wouldn't make it with that look because WWE always said at that time they wouldn't sign people with that look. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't end up getting to WWE until what? almost 10 years later. Um, yeah. So, like, things change. Uh, so, you know, they – they you were just listening to what they were telling you. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I've always been strongly on the side of I don't care what wrestlers wear in the sense of I think it's good that they look different from each other. I think it's good that wrestlers have different looks and different styles and different body types. I think that the way WWE had their wrestlers looking for years and to a, to a lesser extent still do – in kind of that uniform way is boring i thought it was fun when there were skinny guys fat guys muscular guys all kinds of guys i you know that that's just that's the wrestling i prefer so i'm totally down with the wrestlers dressing differently i'm totally down with the um with the different body types
0: And and you just think that, you know, like punk would be the guy that shouldn't be doing this because again, like the steam t-shirt thing was a big thing for years, but like the punk basketball shorts thing was a lesser thing. Like it wasn't something that was said as much, but some people were like, that guy looks so dopey wearing his dumb giant basketball shorts. So you would think if anyone would understand the, uh, like what it feels like to have people kind of shit on you for a really inconsequential thing and how it really doesn't matter that much, if at all. It should be CM Punk, but yet... Maybe
1: that's why he was so sensitive to it. I don't know. It's, um, you know, because was, it was right at the time that he was just coming into, like, not doing that.
0: Yeah, the tights and putting on yeah. more muscles and, yeah. you know, doing the things that WWE at this point wanted wrestlers to do. And he was the guy, you know, he went the opposite way. He did what WWE, you know... He, you know, it's not like he changed his whole life or anything and got on steroids and gained, like, 50 pounds of muscle, but he definitely... You know, did made moderate changes in 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 his career and his look to uh to appeal to WWE when he was looking for a job. Where Kevin Steen actually, you know, he kind of eventually got there. Like you said, it took a lot longer, but he kind of got there being Kevin Steen. And- yeah,
1: I mean, but I mean, you're right. These stories do make Punk sound like a bully. You know, I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure, but they definitely do. And it's like a guy who is maybe not as strong-minded as Kevin Steen, might have been extremely discouraged by someone of that stature being so hard on them. I don't know. Um, but, you know, luckily Kevin Steen wasn't, and uh, he's, he is the man that we, uh, we still watch today.
0: Yeah. And uh, next up, we, uh, re- we return backstage to see the embassy of Prince Nana, Jimmy Rave, Oman Tortuga, Mike Killer Cruel, and Jade Chung. Nana isn't sweating that Bobby Heenan's here tonight. He reminds us that when he faced off with Jim Cornette, he had the surprise of Ricky Morton. I should note then that, that segment, though, That invo- I think that segment ended with, like, the embassy getting run off. So I don't know if, like, well, we had Ricky Morton, but the end of that story is, like, Ricky Morton didn't save you. But whatever. He says tonight they're going to beat the hell out of CM Punk one more time. Nana then slaps Jimmy Rave on the shoulder, and Jimmy says, ow, and gives him a dirty look, which is going to foreshadow something that comes up later in the show. Um. Next up, we have our second match of the show. Roderick Strong defeated El Generico in 11 minutes 39 seconds when he made him submit to the stronghold. This was a good match. I I, I like this a fair bit. Uh, unfortunately for Generico, there is one really big botch in this where he does his split-legged moonsault and he just kind of just botches it and uh doesn't hit it at really clean at all he looks he
1: looks so he looks so frustrated when that happens
0: (laughs) yeah i write in my notes you can see his look of frustration all over his face after the the part of his face you can see in his mask and um but i thought this was a good match i thought it was funny because in a lot of ways you could say this match was probably meant to be like another showcase for roddick strong who's starting to get a singles push and he actually gave Generico a lot of this match in, in that context. Like, and I think he, in a way, he's lucky because I feel like Generico is another guy, much like James Gibson, the show before, where his selling is good enough that, like, you can see, like, Generico can get, like, 60, 70% of the match. But whenever, um, Strong, like, turns it around and hits, like, a big backbreaker or something, uh, Generico's, uh, selling is so good that it's kind of, like, that's almost as, as worth as much as all of the offense generico has. Like he, he, it doesn't feel like, you know, generico's dominating the match, even though he's getting more than, I would say more than half of the offense in this match. And I think that goes to generico selling, which is really good here. I, I think he's, he's another guy. I always say, like we, when we used to talk about the, the two Liger matches in Ring of Honor, like if you're a masked guy, even though generico, some of his face is visible, your selling needs to be, your physical body language needs to be really good to kind of make up that you maybe your face is obscured a bit. And I would, I noticed even here at this very early stage in Generico's wrestling career, like his, just his body language on so many different little positions and selling and all sorts of things is really good, which again really helps. But I, I just thought this was a, uh, a, a good match and like not an amazing match, but like, um, you know, on this run of of Generico and, and Sting, you know, they don't get full-time jobs off of this run and they kind of get buried in the undercard and don't really have that breakout performance. But I feel like this wasn't far from a breakout performance because I thought Generico looked, other than the botch, very, very good in this. And um, even – there was just cool st- – I'm, I'm sure you'll have a lot of things to say that about like the moves and stuff. But I just thought there was a couple cool moments like Generico dropped whole hold, hold – uh, strong so he hits his head into the guardrail which was kind of cool i like that he go jericho at one point goes to catapult himself back over the ropes to get back into the ring for a sunset flip and strong just moves and sticks out his knee so that he's the like catapulting Jericho just lands and kind of backbreakers himself i thought that was really cool but overall yeah just a good match it you know not an amazing must-see match but this is the kind of i think this is the kind of match you would love to see like second the second match on the show this is a good level of match to have
1: yeah, which is weird to say about a match between these two guys who would go on to be like some of the biggest stars in ROH. You know, like this match yeah. is main event level. You know, just a couple of years from now, um, from from then, I guess this would be a better way of saying it. Um, it's also weird to see Steen and Generico on the show back to back, getting this like this real shot in ROH, but it's just not going anywhere. You know, just yeah. knowing how good they are, it's weird to see them not immediately succeeding at ROH um and i don't know if it's really through any fault of their own i um i agree with you the match is really good um i think generico is really good but i will say um i do think this was still a star performance for Roderick strong um you know the just like the with his the brutality of his his back work still is really impressive every single time he would do some sort of creative version of the backbreaker. The crowd would get more and more into him. I mean, he's, they're very close to Generation X being baby faces. I don't know if they ever even really have an official face turn. Um, but they are baby faces within a couple months of this show for sure. And it's because the crowd just loves watching them wrestle. And, you know, part of it is, uh, is the backbreakers. The crowd just really loves it. Um, there was there was one thing where um, Generico went for like you know one of those like wheelbarrows where he like jumps into a wheelbarrow trying to go into an arm drag thing like a lucha style thing, but Strong catches him in the wheelbarrow and just turns it into another backbreaker. And every time he does that, it's just like you know some some new version of the backbreaker. The crowd just cheers him more and more and more, and you can actually see Roderick encouraging the cheers from the crowd. So uh, you know I don't know if he was going into business for himself there or if they were actually saying start acting more like a baby face i'm not not really clear but um you know but yeah generico does get a lot of you know big offense here he does he ddt's strong on the apron he does a springboard uh crossbody on the way back in he does like he actually does almost like what you would consider a hot tag style comeback after a lot of the back work with a backdrop a back heel kick um that's when he really messes up the split legged moonsault um you know, I wonder how much he was judged for that cuz like I said, he had some good performances but he obviously they stopped using him um for a a good year and a half after they let let him go. Um so I don't know how much this weighed on Gabe's mind there, but um you know, a, another cool near fall was when uh when Generica went for the uh the now known as Haluva kick, but Strong caught his leg and hit the backbreaker for that. Um um, you know, but Generico still got some more like hope spots. He what you know? When did the double knees went for the running sick kick, and Generico reversed that. Um, Rodra kicked out and immediately hit the running boot. Then for two, just, they just had some really good fun competitive sequences. And uh, the uh, the the finish where Generico hits the Aluva kick, does that bridge a German kick with the bridge, which is another botch, right? Because Strong really didn't bridge over. And then Roderick reversed a brain buster into a release vertical suplex and then goes right into the stronghold and Generico taps immediately. I thought it was just very high energy. And I think every single match that passes, Strong looks more and more like a star. Um, I thought this was a really solid undercard match. Uh, Would watch again. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely, and I'm sure this is the kind of match that Kevin Steen was hoping he could have against Wardell Walker, even though we we're both on the record as saying, you know, we don't think that match was as horrible as horrible like he thought it was. It definitely wasn't also, you know, like this match where it's a really, actually really good match that should have, I think, gotten generical more opportunities on this run. But
1: Also not, not fair to compare because Roderick Strong is a lot more experienced and just really, really good. You know, Wardell yeah. Walker was very green. Yeah. Uh, next up, we
0: go backstage where Nigel McGuinness is standing in front of those same maps we saw earlier. I am just fascinated by the maps. He says he hears Colt Cabana is making fun of his accent. Nigel says that's good for Jolly Sunshine. Keep doing it. He says because that's all you're ever going to do, Colt. You're just gonna, you know, your, your your love of goofing is gonna is why we didn't win the tag titles and why you'll never do more than goofing. Uh, Nigel says he's going to win a title shot in the four corner match tonight, and that's that's about it. So he says Sunshine.
1: Point- he says Sunshine a shocking amount of times in this promo though. I didn't I didn't actually count them, but I should have. He says it a lot. Uh a little bit too much sunshine.
0: I wonder if he was playing it up because the whole promos about Colt making fun of his accent. Yeah. Probably not, probably just a coincidence.
1: Yeah, I mean that um, that's a, that's a that's a regal thing, right? Like Regal popularized the use of sunshine in promos, right? Or is yeah. that com- or did he, Regal get that from another British wrestler? uh I, i'm the wrong
0: person to ask on that probably i have not watched i have not cu- kept up with my world of sport feeling
1: well regal definitely um, never said it in, his, in a in a promo of this length as many times as nigel did here <laughs>
0: um next up uh Lacey's angels of cheech and deranged uh defeated Azriel and dixie in nine minutes 25 seconds when deranged pinned asriel with what uh Dave Prezak calls a reverse Rana into a pile driver. I don't know if I would call it exactly that, but I don't have a better term for that. So I'll just put it, all the pressure on uh, Dave Prezak here. Um, another uh, another one of these uh, Lacey's Angels, although this is now we've got them wrestling officially as Lacey's Angels, but basically another special K-collides-with-itself match. Uh, Matt, what do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, they they debuted the Lacey's Angels um, "Date with the Night" yeah, yeah 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 song as their intro music, which is much improved from whatever they were using on a Back to Basics or whatever, or the Best American Super Juniors, I guess, is what it was that they had that music. Um, but and Azrael and Dixie still had the My cover, which um, not good um, as their probably <laughs> not. is. Is this Chija's first ever main show match? It has to be I, right. I think
0: it might have been because I, I think maybe something happened to Izzy that he couldn't work the show. I don't. I don't know what. So I think he might have been like a last minute or late s- sub. And yeah, I, I believe that because yeah, he was basically just consigned, I think, to ring ring duty until on the main shows at least until they're here.
1: Yeah, and he really never gets a chance to really wrestle too much for a long time, even after this. But um, yeah, he did a good job, I think, um, considering his first match um um prazak starts out by saying i don't know what cloudy's deal is and punk just goes he just does a lot of drugs so (laughs) so that's cloudy's deal um but yeah this is i mean it's pretty fun you know it's not a it's not a great match but you know deranged is being his usual expressive self which you know if you've listened to this show that i am a big fan of i very rarely have i not been entertained by deranged in a match, and he's still being very deranged here. Um, but, um, you know, like there's a, there's one part early where Cheech jumps up onto Azrael's shoulders, which is not as smart against a guy whose big move is an electric chair um <laughs> but Azrael doesn't do that move though he just throws him on the mat and attempts a double stomp so you know a guy just hands something to you and you don't even take it i think there's actually you know there are probably some people who would be more annoyed by that than i am like just the idea like the lack of logic there like the guy's putting getting himself in position to do your big move and you just choose not to do the big move um but to me it was just kind of funny um but Lacey's angels are definitely being extra heelish here like they do a bunch of um eye pokes they they do um you know all that stuff um cheech at one point tries this wacky leg submission that i can't even explain that doesn't amount to much of anything but it takes him a long time um, <laughs> to put it on um but then he gets um but then actually he turns it into something that's more like it's like a it's an indian death lock and like he does almost a, a reverse curb stomp um which actually was pretty cool. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, where he hooks the leg and then just pulls him up and kicks him down. You know, usually the curb stomps to the back of the head. This time it's more to, like, the front. But I thought that was cool. So, there, there's something. Um, there's another cool move where Derange does a Doomsday Ace Crusher on Azrael off of Cheech's shoulders. Um, there, uh, it's actually one of the first times where. I see the crowd really getting into Asriel and Dixie as baby faces. They're really behind Asriel to make a hot tag. And then when he does hot tag Dixie, Dixie actually does a pretty good hot tag. You know, the backdrops, the backbreakers, all the slams and whatnot. Um, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, then, the, the end of the match comes with a, that what you mentioned, like a reverse Rana into a pile driver. I thought it was more of a Canadian Destroyer almost-looking yeah, but- thing um, to get the win. Um, I don't know. I thought they did a solid... I thought it was a Maybe not as good as the – I didn't like it maybe as much as the Generico-Strong match, but I thought it was pretty solid. Um, they got the crowd into it. The last few minutes were fun. I didn't notice any major embarrassing botches. I, I think you know, it continues the streak of, of, pretty, of pretty solid matches here. I, I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a a decent, you know, undercard match. I thought it's the kind of match that is instantly forgettable, but it's decently enjoyable while you're watching it. I think the most interesting thing to me is, like, this is another match we've seen lately where it feels like... um, so the Special K guys, when they're wrestling each other, I don't know if this is really a conscious decision or, or, or just what, but they're doing very kind of a little bit toned down and much more like traditional tag wrestling than you might think because, you know, the thing with Special K was always they're these crazy spot guys and all they're ever in are um, – in Ring of Honor are these giant multi-man scrambles and tags and stuff where they're just doing crazy spots. And, you know, they've done a few of these tags now where – they're more toned down they're following a very old school tag structure with you know the heels are cheating like you said and you know there's a hot tag to the faces after one of the faces gets isolated for a while and at one point even like i think punk on commentary at one point even acknowledges that like the match is slower and more methodical than you might expect but they've had a few of these matches lately And, and again i don't know if that's maybe someone telling them we want you to tone it down a bit or them just deciding like look let's prove that you know especially since we're starting to get a bit more of a Push Well, I don't know if it's a huge push, but, you know, a bit more of a focus right now that like, hey, you know, we, we're we not just spot monkeys. We can wrestle like structured, like standard matches here. I mean, it's weird because in one way, it's great to see them being a bit more um, well-rounded. But another way, you know, it, that w- one of their calling cards was – that they were crazy spot monkeys and so having it toned down a bit kind of tones down their their kind of the, their thing that was helping them stand out although they do still hit some big moves like that like you said I think the highlight of the whole match was that big springboard uh, doomsday ace crusher uh Chichi looked good in this match for a guy that's hardly ever in Ring of Honor. Like I liked other than like you said that that submission was kind of convoluted, but it ended with the fun curb stomp. I thought he did a big running shoulder block in the corner where he leaves his feet and just got kind of goes completely horizontal in the corner, which I always think is a really cool way to do a shoulder block. But yeah, um overall perfectly uh fine, solid uh undercard tag match. Uh, the crowd chanted Lacey's Assholes to start, which I, I thought was for, for a gimmick that had just started. The fact that they were already coming up with a modified name for it, I thought, you know, this is a good crowd that they were, you know, it, normally, Matt, it would take a crowd months and months to come up with an amazing, genius chant like Lacey's Assholes instead of Lacey's Angels. And uh, Yeah, they, Lacey, they got Lacey
1: Assholes. I don't, I don't. I don't even know what that would mean.
0: <laughs> um, I like that your little giggle there was like you're almost proud and ashamed of yourself. You are just like, "Oh, that was that was good." An-
1: anytime you hear me giggle like that, that is exactly what's going on. There's always at least a little bit of shame. That one, there's probably a lot. <laughs>
0: Well, um up next, we have the Ring of Honor pure title match. Jay Lethal successfully defended the title when he defeated Spanky via submission in 16 minutes, 55 seconds, when he used a standing Boston Crab that was in the ropes, kind of. Um I would say this was the best match on the show thus far for me. It was, I would say, like, a n- one notch above uh, Strong I mean, and uh, Generic. I would say, like, this is like a three-and-a-half-star match, I would say. Um... It, it let me enter it left me feeling pretty entertained but also i also felt kind of oddly disconnected from this match emotionally and i guess it makes sense because this is a match in ring of honor where you know usually in ring of honor there's always a reason for everything there is no real there's no real story in this match it's just hey it's spanky is a pushed baby face, and he's getting a title shot here and there's no feud there's no setup to this match really it's just hey here you go and there, there's a little bit of a story in the match where uh, Lethal's arm gets worked on. I felt like Lethal selling of the arm was kind of mixed. It doesn't really play that much into it. It's kind of on and off. Um, I think mostly what this match kind of lives and dies on. It mostly lives is it's you know a long match, and I think they just worked a really good pace and kind of jam packed it with like good back and forth wrestling. Like I think they kept they you know they weren't going breakneck, but I felt like at no point in in the 17 minute match was I ever bored that they really slowed down in, in a way that was not interesting. I, I felt like they just really worked at a good clip with each other. And these are, you know, two guys that I think one of their strengths is they can, they have the cardio that they can just keep going and going for a while at, at a good, like steady tempo and just doing a lot of action. Um, and the, and the, to me that was more impressive than any moment in the match, although there were you know cool moves cool moments in the match. there was a couple of moments in the match where um some of my semi frequent like pure rules agitations came up where there there's a couple one is there's a few moments in this match where a guy grabs the ropes so he won't get a take get a move delivered to him so like for example at one point spanky goes for the slice bread number two uh L- lethal does this cool counter mid air where basically he captures him upside down mid move and gets ready to tombstone pile drive him and spanky while he's upside down grabs one of the ropes to so he can't to- get tombstone pile driven and every time something like that happens you hear a few people in the crowd be like oh that's you can hear the murmur like that's a rope break and in fact i think one fan during one of these moments even yells out that's a rope break and gabe has to tell us you know, That's not a rope break. And Gabe clarifies, you know, on commentary because Gabe is tagged in for commentary at this point for Punk because Punk's got to prepare for his match. And Gabe says um, something to the effect of, like, rope breaks are only only count. They're only rope breaks when you grab the ropes if it's to break a a submission or a pin attempt. So if you just grab the ropes because you don't want a guy to, like, suplex you or something, that doesn't count. But I feel like it's one of those things where even though that makes sense – you can always tell whenever something like that happens in one of these pure matches. There are always some fans that are like, is that a rope break? Well,
1: also, and, they're not consistent with it. Like, like, yeah. That, so like, that, it, that always seems suspect. It's like in the Royal Rumble. When somebody eliminates themselves um, by, uh, by mistake, it doesn't count. But if someone eliminates themselves on purpose, that's part of the rules.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's a little more complicated. You know, these rules, there's just – there's too many little wrinkles that the ropes can play into in matches where if you kind of don't do like a real hard line, be like any touch of the rope is – other than like running the ropes is a rope break, you get these moments where there's always going to be fans who are like – Does that count? Why doesn't it count? And I feel like it kind of takes a little bit away from some of these matches, although not much. Again, I still like this match a fair bit. The other problem I didn't like is this pure match ends the way a lot of pure matches or at least a few pure matches have ended where one guy uses up all his rope breaks. And so his opponent puts him in a submission in the ropes. And the guy has to submit and, you know, he can't – they can't break it because he's used up all his rope breaks. But I find a lot of times when this happens, the wrestler that has to put in the submission, like, doesn't have a really good-looking rope-based submission. So they're just like, eh, I'll just do something where the guy kind of touches the ropes. And there's a very big example of that at the end of this match because Jay Lethal's finisher is basically to do a Boston Crab where where, where he's, like, standing up while he has the guy in the Boston Crab. It's like a vertical Boston Crab. And then – to kind of lightly hook Spanky's legs over the top rope, like just so they kind of dangle over it, and they're like, in no way does it look like it's any more devastating because like the ropes are doing nothing. It's just literally because that's how pure title matches end sometimes. Is oh, they've got to have a submission, the ropes to show. Walt, this is why he used up his rope breaks so he could do this. But the submission, like, it did not look particularly. Like the the rope thing, it just looked very just. Well, I gotta get them to touch the rope somehow. But still, um, I, I thought this was a good match, not not a great match. But you know, again, three and a half stars is nothing nothing bad. I won't ever like poo poo that or turn that away. And uh, yeah, Matt, what did you think?
1: Um, I I pretty much agree that this was the best match of the first you know undercard the undercard part of the show, but also not my favorite match of the undercard. Like the, I also felt a bit um disconnected uh to it for whatever reason. You know, I uh, I don't know. I, I didn't love the early part of the match and I didn't I didn't like the finish like you said. It, it seemed kind of be seemed kind of sudden. The move wasn't very cool, but the way the match built was very good. I uh I definitely appreciated that. And I also liked um I've been continually impressed I think with Jay Lethal at this point. Like obviously Brian Kendrick's a great wrestler. Um, and Lethal you know, I think people think of him as a really great wrestler now, but I didn't remember him being as impressive as he was back in 2005. You know, the past really few shows, I've really thought that he's had pretty impressive performances athletically, um, in terms of the fire he showed, still not on promos, I will will say, (laughs) but um, everything else, I think he looks really good with. um, I like the idea that Spanky kept, like, do using closed fists um you know the idea being that spanky's a bit more of a veteran than lethal but lethal is better attuned to the pure title rules because he's the pure title champion and that gave him a bit of an advantage in the match i thought that was pretty cool um uh i I also you know i thought there were some there were some cool moves here um the uh when lethal does the tope suicida onto spanky but spanky kind of moves lethal into the guardrail arm first You know, I I thought that was a pretty cool way of doing things. Um, I I I still like Lethal's cool like thing where he I don't know how to explain it, but he where he gets the wrestler um, like in kind of a hold where he pushes their arms up by his legs, and then do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Where where he's almost like he's almost like stepping
0: on their shoulders while they're like while he's sitting down,
1: while the into their armpits and like. and, and pushing upward. So they're kind of like up in like a crucifix position almost like, I I don't know if there was ever a name for that hold because you definitely can't call it that arms submission. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's the sort of move that you really need a name for because it's almost impossible to describe um, in a non-convoluted way. Um, But I like that, you know, I I liked Spanky's aggression going after the arm. Um, You know, I thought the match got more, more exciting um, as, as, lethal worked on the back i um i just thought it was it was a smartly worked match that for whatever reason it didn't click as much as the uh as the work would suggest that it would for me i i think i i still would say that my the, the, the match that i enjoyed the most in this first hour of the show was um hour and a half i guess at this point was um strong versus generico um yeah
0: Sorry. I would say, yeah. I don't know. I was just say, I feel like even though I would say this match I, I liked a bit better, I, I kind of agree with you that Strong Generico was more fun. I guess maybe the best way to say it would be like I feel like they got more out of less. Yeah. You know, so even just like less match time, even where this they do a lot, they work really hard, and then it comes out. It's like, oh, that's pretty good. But they, you know, they had a lot of time and they worked. They did a lot here to kind of get you to that point.
1: Yeah, there was just something that popped for me with the Strong Generico match that didn't for this one, but i can't really fault the work in any way it's just personal how it just how it hit me i guess more than anything else um but no this was very good they, they're, they're two very good workers that did a good job and you know i think they actually have had a better match in them even um, you know if they'd wrestled again i think they could have even done better so i would i would have still liked to see a rematch even though the match didn't grab me as much as i would have liked
0: so a couple notes here um the, did you know? Okay, there's a moment on commentary where um, Gabe said, "You know, Gabe, I always love Gabe's moments of like self-awareness because Gabe is very self-aware of criticism and stuff, and he'll acknowledge it, which can be very fascinating." And at one point here on commentary, he goes, "Spanky has had several match the year candidates in his Ring of Honor return," and he goes, "I'm not exaggerating." He goes, "Some people think I throw around that term loosely," and I thought that was like I like you know, a, you know, a lot of people wouldn't kind of acknowledge that that like you know some people on the message boards think I say that too much. So Gabe then immediately goes, and he, and he talks about these Match of the Year candidates. So he goes, he talks about Gibson versus Spanky, the back-to-the-basics six-man tag Spanky was, on uh, the back-to-the-basics tag main event he was in, the Dragon versus Spanky match on the last show, and the six-man tag he was in at the Trios tournament. And I wrote, well, he's one for four like those were all good matches but like to say those are all match of the year candidates and then um I, I well I, this- I
1: will t- I will just defend him in one sense i i do think a lot of people at the time were talking about that gibson match um as at that level even though i don't think either of us saw it that way yeah. but yeah
0: and then at the end of this match, Gabe goes, this is another classic match for Spanky. It's like, again, like, Spanky hasn't had a bad match in this run, but like, I wouldn't call this a classic. I will say, watching this, like, one thing I've kind of felt bad for Spanky is, well, not super bad, but like, I, I feel like he kind of got his thunder stolen by James Gibson coming in right around the same time, because normally you would think that, like, Spanky, you know, coming back for a run, You know, after WWE would be like, he'd have a lot of spotlight on him. And I feel like the kind of the storyline they're in, where Spanky's kind of just a little bit behind James Gibson, is kind of reality, too. Where, you know, a lot of these matches, you know, like if James Gibson's not in, probably the world title match on this show would have been Spanky, uh, Austin Aries. And I feel like Spanky's performances on his comeback have all been good. It's just they're not quite they're not on the level of James Gibson. I feel like James Gibson kind of stole his thunder on this run a bit, but you know, we're in a way that's the storyline too.
1: Gibson also has more of a personality in this story, in this run than Spanky does, which is surprising to say, cause Spanky had a lot of personality in his first run, but it's really hard to pin down what his character is at this point. You know, he's, yeah. he just seems, he seems kind of like a guy, um, a guy who James Gibson gets mad at. I don't know. I don't know. It's like there's, there's, I mean, there's, I feel like they could have done more with him personality wise to get him more well positioned. Because you're right, Gibson, you know, has surpassed him at this point, and the crowd has this great connection with him, and he cuts a very memorable promo, which Spanky has yet to do in this run. Yeah. He's
0: another one of those guys where he loses the goofiness, but he doesn't really have anything to replace it with.
1: Exactly. And you know, he, he might have done better off just retaining a little bit of the goofiness.
0: Yeah. Um,. Gabe also said something, kind of echoed what you said earlier, where Gabe said that this might be the best crowd to ever attend Ring of Honor in the Boston area. And again, this is yeah, this is a good crowd, even though it's only 400 people, apparently. And sometimes I wonder when you get these smaller crowds, do you kind of get just only the hardcore? And I, and, and I was thinking of that to myself the other day, and then I thought, well, how would that make sense that they're louder? Because it's still less people in the same building, Trevor. I was like, are you stupid, Trevor? But like at the same time, sometimes it does feel like occasionally when you get these disappointing crowds... The crowd that is there is very vocal.
1: Oh, I 100 percent think that's that's the case. That the more hardcore the crowd is, the more they react to stuff. Um, you know, the more they're supportive, the more they're into stuff. I mean, even if you just talk about, I saw someone on, I forget who it was on Twitter mention this, um, and I've thought this for years, which is, you know, when wrestling is more popular, it's harder to get the crowds into like a wrestling match. Because yeah. they're there to see the stars and the personalities. And when you get to, when you, when the audience is smaller and it's more of like a, just a wrestling fan base who likes to see wrestling, they are more excited to react to the wrestling. But when you have a smaller crowd for ROH, it's because the people there, they know the ROH stars. They're excited to be there. It's not, there's, you don't have as many people that are there to be like, oh, you know, there's wrestling here today. I've heard of the Samoa Joe. Oh, Bobby Heenan's going to be there. You know, th- things like that. It's, they're there to, Because they follow it and they are into the type of thing that they produce. So I think it makes a lot of sense why a smaller crowd would be a bit louder. Also, the acoustics of a building make a big difference also.
0: Yeah, and I'm reminded of – I forget some – it was some shoot interview I watched a long time ago. But some wrestler was saying something about like kind of the weird conundrum of sometimes with a small crowd, you might want like a really small crowd like like maybe an IWA mid-cell show that wasn't well promoted that's like got like – 47 people there or something where you go, oh, you might want to slack off or something. But then the the other way they were thinking of it was like at the same time, if you go to a show and there's like, you know, 30 people there, you know, those are probably like super hardcore wrestling fans, the people that did get there. Because if the show was so badly promoted or had so much competition or whatever, the people that did show up probably fucking like, just are the the biggest fans in the world. And in a way, do you want to shit on those people for being so dedicated? And a, I guess you could say on a larger extent, maybe, you know, a crowd like this, which it, where, you know, as Gabe said in that quote I read earlier, you know, Boston has moved so many locations at uh, during this point. Had so many trials in this in this market. Like if you're still going to every Ring of Honor show in Boston, you must fucking love Ring of Honor at this point because you know even Joe Gagney did not make it to this show. So and <laughs> that's right, pretty
1: much all of them. So. He got tired of being looked at and people shaking their heads at him. <laughs> yeah. so so yeah. If you get, if you get,
0: came to the show, you were probably a you know one of the absolute diehards that was going to make pretty much any show in a drivable distance. But um, next we get Jimmy Rave's entrance for his match. I just mentioned this because during the match we get the usual Jade Chung deal where Prince Donna berates her, makes her be a footstool for Jimmy Rave when Rave and then. Matt, I believe this is a piece of Ring of Honor history. Tell me if I'm jumping the gun here. When Rave does step in the ring, we get one streamer thrown and then what appears to be the first one or two toilet rolls, paper rolls ever thrown at Jimmy Rave. I, I believe those were toilet paper rolls.
1: Am uh, I correct? I'm going to have to go back and take a look. I, 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 th- I think they were. All right. I, 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 you know what? I trust you. Uh, but I, mean, I am going to go back and take a look just to make you feel better. But I am sure you're right.
0: Yeah, I think this may have been the first time. You can even hear some people laughing. Um, Nana at this point does a little mic work. He gets a shut the fuck up chant. Nana says Rave had an elephant riding accident, and he has Oman Tortuga take off Rave's robe and and revealing that Rave's arm is in a sling. Uh, Nana tells him Rave to take it easy tonight. He won't be wrestling. Crowd immediately starts chanting, you're a pussy. Rave leaves the ring. Nana says that instead, Killer Mike Cruel will be taking Rave's place tonight against the common man, CM Punk. At this point, CM Punk makes his entrance. He gets on the mic. He calls Nana a thorn in his side and says tonight he came with a friend, a WWE Hall of Famer, and introduces Boss uh, Bobby the Brain Heian, who comes out in a Boston Red Sox jersey, pandering to the local crowd. Uh, Punk says Jimmy Rave is scared of him, but he's not mad at Rave. He just feels sorry for him, which I felt was kind of an odd tone to take when the very previous show, Punk cut a screaming, angry promo where he said he was going to murder Jimmy Rave. Yeah, I was saying the
1: same thing. You're not mad at him. What? Uh, But I know it's just a saying, but still –
0: Yeah, to be like, oh, well, I'm not mad. I'm just feel sorry for him. Uh And I I should also mention, um, the Pro Wrestling Torch wrote that, um, or maybe not the Torch. I I read somewhere that during around the time of this match at ringside, Bobby Heenan there was actually a fan in the crowd, a disabled fan at ringside, and Bobby Heenan actually took off the Red Sox jersey and gave it to him. And so that's a very nice gesture.
1: That's very nice.
0: Yes. And um. There's some news around Bobby Heen we can talk to after the match, but I guess we'll get to the whole thing. First off, there's the match, which is CM Punk defeats Mike Krull via pinfall in two minutes, 57 seconds with an O'Connor roll. Um, This wasn't much. This was very basic wrestling. Uh, Punk gives Krull almost all of the... Three-minute match. I would say the first two minutes of it. Cruel controls right from the start. He does some very basic clubbering, chokes him on the ropes. He does one nice belly-to-belly suplex. Punk makes a comeback in the final minute. Nana then jumps on the apron. Bobby Heenan grabs his leg to neutralize him. Punk shoves Cruel into Nana, rolls him up in the O'Connor roll for the win. So on this mat, uh, very, very basic rudimentary kind of match i would say matt it's like very, what very
1: weird i i, I want to know like what they were like what their plans were for cruel because they didn't you know want to have him have a competitive match with punk and it was very basic but also they couldn't let cm punk beat him decisively so, like they he gets almost no offense in and he wins with an o'connor roll. um what's the uh What's the deal? Like, well, were they planning on pushing him? Like, what? I'm I'm just confused by what they were trying to do with Cruel. Because you would think that Punk would like just kick his ass and beat him with his finisher, right? Yeah, but they didn't do that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and but then of course this all set for what follows afterwards. Because after the match. Uh, Bobby Heenan gets on the mic and he puts over Ring of Honor like he does every time he appears to them. He gets the crowd to give the uh, Ring of Honor a standing ovation. Someone at this point throws a streamer in the ring. Heenan calls it blue toilet paper. He quickly leaves the ring. Punk and the fans continue to applaud Heenan. When Jimmy Rave attacks Punk from behind, he's no longer wearing a sling. It was all a ruse. They brawl to ringside. Punk backdrops a running Rave into the front row of fans. He puts a garbage can on Ray and hits it with a chair. He hits uh, him with the chair more times without the garbage can. They brawl back and forth all over the building. At one point, uh, Punk stops to tell a jeering fan, you come get some. And then he says the F word for the derogatory sign for a gay person. So another – Collar-tugging, objectionable moment on the show. Also appears a couple fans in that section of the crowd have signs that say Booker's Pet CM Punk written on them. So clearly some fans even in Boston, another market where some fans do not like CM Punk. Um, The brawl makes its way back to ringside. Uh, Rave puts an open chair on Punk's head and he shoves him into the turnbuckle. They return to the ring where Punk eventually takes control by leveling Rave with a million forearms in the corner. Really good-looking forearms. Punk calls for the Pepsi plunge, but Oman, Tatuga, Mike Cruel, and Nana return to the ring. Punk fights them all off on his own, but this allows Rave to recover and attack, and then Rave lays in a bead down as the embassy holds Punk back. Rave leaves the ring. He returns with a long metal chain. He wraps around Punk's throat, throws him over the top rope, effectively hanging him with the chain. Nana gets in his, Punk's face during this and taunts him until Jay Lethal, Vordell Walker, Davey Andrews, Colt Cabana, maybe more people, they run in to make the save. I would say this entire segment, I timed it out, I would say it's around seven minutes. So not a match, but basically, you know, more than double what we got from the, uh, the Mike Cruel official match punk then gets on the mic and he says he hates jimmy rave more than anyone on planet earth he says you cannot kill what does not die he's here to stay which actually he's not here to stay ironically punk then says he's going to send rave straight to hell calling the other six members of the embassy uh, raves future pallbearers punk says he's never been more serious in his life and he'll make Rave famous so matt my opinion on all of this was it was kind of unique because Ring of Honor hardly ever does this kind of bait and switch. I do like the the rave punk brawls. You know, this is the second straight show we've seen one of these ringside brawls. I think they do a pretty good job of doing good, intense ringside brawling, and it's a nice, you know, it, it gives something different than an element that Ring of Honor doesn't always have on their shows. At the same time, it, it is kind of interesting that like, like, let me put it this way: if you were a fan on the show. Would you have been mad that you didn't get to see like they had advertised Rave versus Punk. Would you have been mad that what you ended up getting was a three minute CM Punk Mike match and a seven minute um Rave Punk Brawl, or would you have felt like, Oh, that's still enough on especially on this show, which has you know, some a bunch more things to show you, but you know, Ring of Honor again was very careful. Usually they did not do stuff like this, like these bait and switches to extend feuds and things like that.
1: Um CM Punk and Jimmy Ray would go on to have a couple of, like, quite good matches, but I don't think they, like, I don't remember, like the, like, the match, the one match they did have so far against each other wasn't that great that I would be like, oh man, I, I, like, that, they really robbed me of something by not having an official match between these two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think this would have been probably good enough for me. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, I will say, just on a side, when, when, uh, Punk called, um, the embassy raves six future pallbearers i i imagined them all coming out just kind of acting like pallbearer like <laughs> with contorting their faces and like having white makeup on and just being like oh yes like could you imagine this like mike cruel and prince nana all all doing that together and it's just like a bunch of six and also you could say there were six of them but i counted four Besides yeah, I don't, know.
0: I don't know if he's including. All right, let's say he's including Diablo Santiago, who was still, uh, I think, with an injury or something. Then who's the other person we're missing still?
1: Okay, so um, who, who do who do we have? So we have we have Chung, we have Nana, we have uh, Tortuga, we have Cruel. Was Fast Eddie there? I guess Fast Eddie. Might, I guess you could. He wasn't there, but
0: okay, Fast Eddie uh, then maybe or he could be throwing in John Walters maybe he thinks yeah. he's going to come back from his his job running a Nana's financial business. In, well, in why Nana. not throw
1: why not throw in Xavier, Josh Daniels, there are 8 of them now.
0: Angel Williams, uh, yeah. we could,
1: could get close to a dozen. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh Talboy, Eric Tuttle, <laughs> Nana's first partner. Um but um but yeah i um yeah i don't know this this was okay I, I i i liked the promo at the end i thought that was very good and and the and the hanging part except for the part where nana gets in his face and says lynch him which i'm pretty sure is what he says um that's not good <laughs> um but um i i you know it, it was kind of amusing that punk even as like the ultimate baby phase brawling felt the need to get angry at a guy who uh who said something to him in the crowd it's just like you know probably doesn't really matter if one guy doesn't like you. And yeah. And you're the babyface. I've found a
0: few times where he has this thin skin where, like, you know, like, Eight, 95% of the crowd can be cheering him and he'll find like the one guy he can hear that's not and like kind of make a bigger like in a way it almost makes him him look less popular than he is because he'll like single that guy out and give them attention
1: i can kind of relate though you know i mean i'm sure a lot of us can like you know all the all the compliments people give us they go in one ear and not the other but if someone says something negative you remember it for the rest of your life right like yeah so i i you know i can't can't fault him too much um for that one but it's pretty clearly a, a feature <laughs> that he had at least at the time um but i you know i like i like i said i like the cough cell job um that uh, that he did um i thought it was a fun group of you know you would think that these guys would be the lumberjacks right jay lethal vordell walker Colt cabana davy yeah. andrews azriel and dixie but nope they were not the lumberjacks. <laughs> Turns out even Vordell Walker was
0: too big a star to meet the standards of the Lumberjacks we'll be seeing later. But, um, yeah.
1: um, so but, the, but, anyway, but anyway, it got where it needed with the chain thing. It took a while. I don't think it was so exceptionally entertaining on the way there, but I thought the ending was good. I, I did find it very, very amusing how little Heenan did. That's, that, that's a, a nice, nice work if you can get it. But it is nice to hear about him giving away the, the jersey. That's a, that's, a, that's a classy thing to do.
0: And this would actually, I believe, be Bobby Heenan's final appearance for Ring of Honor and yep. not in, not planned, apparently, because, Matt, I read in The Torch, I'll read, um, they had a quick little quote where they said, after the show took place, they wrote, keep this in mind, they wrote, Bobby Heenan who managed CM Punk on April 16, plans to work more Ring of Honor shows. At the same time period, Matt, The Observer wrote this instead, which I believe, based on what happened, rings a lot truer, because Bobby Hinn did not end up working more Ring of Honor shows. Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer at the time. Bobby Heenan won't be managing any longer here. He will work for Ring of Honor for any projects they like, such as the videos he did with James Cornett, he's talking about shoot interviews, but doesn't want to be at ringside any longer. He's from the mentality that if you are a professional, you get over without swearing. He was managing CM Punk on the show in Dorchester, Massachusetts on April 16th, and Punk was on the house mic and said, cocksucker, and a few other terms. Heenan just didn't want to be there. He asked Gabe Sapolsky if he wrote that, and Sapolsky Polsky said that punk is one of the few guys with latitude to do stuff on his own. So apparently it sounds like he was scheduled to do more like appearances on Ring of honor shows. And he did not like that. Punk. CM Punk did the swear words. Uh, uh, Bobby Hinn did the old uh, Bill Cosby that you shouldn't, you know, you don't need to swear folks. So hopefully he didn't do anything else. Bill Cosby asked, but uh, I don't think he did. But, um, um.
1: Yeah. Not. That's, not. Uh, not going to even. I don't. It's not going to add anything to that except what I'm saying <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, but.
0: But. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Cm Punk ending Bobby Heenan's ring of honor career. But I don't think. Like again, Bobby Heenan. It was nice to see him the very first time. I think we both agree. He didn't really add much to these shows. He basically was just there to say hi and thank you. But it is interesting that he got that offended that CM Punk swore on the mic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, okay, I guess you haven't been paying attention (laughs) to what you're getting into. So if this is surprising you now, but, um, I actually think that there might have even been more cursing in ROH earlier on, um, than there is at this, in this era. So, but, you know, I I haven't taken the stats on that, so I don't know for sure. But, um, I, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's something that maybe you know in advance. Like, ROH is still sort of ECW, um, Influenced in that regard, although I do have to say, they don't seem to have a rule that someone has to say shit on every show the way AEW does.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm Matt. I am just glad for Bobby heenan's sick that he never had to see uh, James Gibson's backstage promo that comes later. He doesn't <laughs> like swearing. Man, he dodged a bullet there. Yes, Stop I would. Say, I would say,
1: seat. despite the fact that the, I think there was more cursing on earlier ROH. Um, I don't know if there was ever more cursing than there was on that promo.
0: Yeah, like it's it's a really like ironic thing that the show Bobby Heenan quits because CM Punk said a couple swear words has maybe the most like abrasive foul mouth promo, which we'll get to later. But uh, I also
1: would not have expected that promo to come from James Gibson. <laughs>
0: So uh next up on the show, though, we cut to Austin Aries and Roderick Strong backstage. Aries says, tonight's the night James Gibson takes his world-class abilities and takes on the world champion. Aries says he's been going all over the globe, defending the, world, the Ring of Honor world title, and he's going to win again tonight. Aries turns his attention to the four-corner match that's happening for a future world title shot. And he mentions how Roderick Strong is a roadblock for anyone that tries to get to him. He puts over Strong's new submission finisher and says when Jack Evans comes back, he and Roddy will be unstoppable and win the Ring of Honor tag titles. So this is basically one of those promos where you basically get a list of bullet points and you just say what the bullet points are. Because <laughs> he basically – there's no real connective tissue. It's just basically I'm having a match tonight. There's another match that will have ramifications tonight. Roderick Strong is cool.
1: Jack Evans is cool. Goodbye. Harry's definitely still working on the promos. Yeah. Strong even Strong isn't even getting to where he's really working on them yet. <laughs> yeah, Roderick Strong
0: here is basically basically Ares cut his promo for him, you know, like which I maybe tells you their confidence in Roderick Strong's speaking abilities at this point where basically Ares cuts his promo and then puts over Roderick Strong for Roderick Strong afterwards. Aries um,
1: Ares at a certain point becomes a very charismatic, good you know, good talker. Um, Strong. I don't know if he ever becomes particularly well regarded for his promos. He obviously gets no. better, but he's still not cutting a lot of promos even now.
0: Yeah, I think he gets to passable. Which it takes him some work, I think, to get to even to passable. I, I think you know because he was not known for not being maybe the greatest promo guy at some point.
1: But but he he is he is one of the greatest wrestlers. So he's got that going yes. for him.
0: So that takes us to the double stakes four corner survival match. Alex Shelley and Samoa Joe defeated Colt Cabana and Nigel McGinnis. So how this match in 2529, how this match works is the it's a two fall match. So basically it's a four corner match. The first person to make someone else pin or submit, whoever does gets the fall, they get a pure title shot at that point after that fall, Whoever won the fall and whoever directly lost the fall leave, and it's down to a singles match. Whoever wins that singles match gets a world title shot. So how it breaks out here is... Uh, Samoa Joe defeats Colt Cabana in 1749 when he makes Colt submit to the rear naked choke. So Colt, I mean, Joe wins the pure title shot, and then he leaves the ring, and so does Colt. Then we get a Nigel McGuinness-Shelley match that ends in 2529. That's the combined time of both matches after uh, Shelley hits the shell shock. So he wins the Ring of Honor world title. So, Matt, I want to know what you thought about the match. I also thought occasionally in wrestling we've seen matches like this where it's two falls and there's a different title up for grabs on each fall. And I always I don't love that step. And I especially don't like it in stuff like this where the bigger title is the second fall. Because in a way, shouldn't like the biggest prize go to whoever scores the first fall in the match? Because isn't that kind of like the bigger achievement like All these four guys are wrestling each other, and the first guy who got a fall, like, if that was a regular match, that'd be the end of the match. But yet here, in a match like this, it's, like, actually a benefit if you don't score the first fall. You actually get a better reward if you win the second fall, which is always one of those weird things to me.
1: Yeah, I think Meltzer even pointed that out at the time. And it's one of the first things I thought about when I rewatched this, is just, like, why would the first fall? But I guess, you know, there was still this idea maybe in Gabe's mind that he was trying to make the two titles equal. Um... It never happened. You know, uh, I'm not even sure if the pure title ever main evented a show except for the one where they unified the titles. Um, and you know, that's usually a, um, a thing that you do even if it's, um, you know, sort of, um, you know just try you know just uh, giving it the old try you know and even if it's not really at that level you give it the main yeah. event just to kind of show it but uh, did the pure title ever main event to show other than the very first pure title match in 2004 and the very last one in 2006 uh would, it, I don't would, think would, so. would there
0: be anything with joe when he uh, maybe probably not but like not i would I think if anyone had a shot it would be when joe was champ you know what
1: now that i think about it yes i can think of one example of that um from august um of 2005 joe against daniels night of the grudges two. that would be the only one that i could think of i can't remember pure title matches for nigel being the main event but you know maybe i'm just missing something um but anyway um the uh yeah double stakes al's beef uh the (laughs) um there was uh, a, a lot of stuff in this match that i thought was a lot of fun there were a few things that I thought were disappointing too, but you know, I really liked the early part where Nigel and Cabana start out doing their thing that they do. Um, you know, it was, it sort of was just basically a version of their singles match. And I always liked that. Um, I also noted as I listened that it's pretty clear at this point that they've made the shift right away that Dave Prezak is the play-by-play guy and Gabe is the, is the color guy. Yeah. Um, did, uh, which I think is probably a good choice, honestly. And, um, I also uh, noted that Dave Prezak had the title line here because Cabana and Nigel had a, their network, their one-upmanship, and he said, these two are at a stalemate. Um, so I guess he must have said that before the ROH board named the show because um, they never actually say the name of the show on the show. But that was the title line, to be fair. Um but um, the you know the thing that I noticed about the the match is that everybody's doing a lot of mat work except for Joe, who just seems really frustrated with everybody because he wants to strike. You know, he mm-hmm. wants to attack people. Um, you know, um, like and Cabana will do this wacky karate move every time he escapes a Joe hold, and Joe will just look really annoyed, and you know, so he'll respond with just like a, a strike in the torso or a big power slam. Or, or something like that. Um, and at one point, um, Nigel's doing his headstand, and Capana keeps like running in, trying not to get stopped by the headstand. I really love this spot. He's, he's just trying to just avoid getting trapped by Nigel's wacky headstand uh, trapping move. And so uh, eventually he gets rolled up by Nigel. He gets caught in the headstand, and then Nigel goes right back to the headstand after the kickout and and Cabana's all tentative again and joe just gets comes in and he just runs and boots nigel in the face and looks at cabana he's like what are you doing like just hit him and i think it's a fun spot because they've established that joe is the only person who can effectively counter the headstand and he just does it every time and he doesn't understand why cabana is completely uh impotent when it comes to doing something about that move i i, ju- I really enjoy that dynamic um sorry uh. No, I, I was
0: gonna say, yeah, yeah, like, like, I think Joe, that's something that Joe would do a few times of like, um, you know, almost like, you know, that spot he would do where someone would go for a flying move and he would just walk away from them. Like, Joe almost plays this character sometimes, like, though certain rules of wrestling, like, fool or apply to everyone else or tricks fool everyone else but they don't to joe and i think that's another great example of like all these people are like how am i gonna be this beat this in the, the insane riddle of the nigel mcginnis headstand and joe every time is like you you fucking idiots just kick him in the head like <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. <laughs> that's always so good
1: yeah I, I i love that and then you know that kind of leads to joe and cabana getting into it more and they fight on the floor and uh and shelly and nigel are fighting and uh and nigel eventually tries to tag out but sh- first shelly avoids ta- uh, tagging in and then uh, after joe tags out uh he avoids tagging in so it kind of leaves nigel to the wolves there and nigel and shelly fight for a while and then nigel actually hits another jawbreaker lariat i didn't realize he had made that such a big part of his offense so so early in his run but he does like that's and it's still a cool move every time he does it um but uh they you know they continue fighting, um, you know. Cabana has an advantage, doesn't last long because Joe gets the STF on. Then then it's uh, and they're like and then McGuinness is hesitating before saving Cabana. Then Cabana is hesitating before saving Nigel. Uh, I'm not really totally clear on why because like I don't know if they're like trying to have a calculus on which title they're trying to go after. Uh, it's not really clear, but they but they they're always like should I save them and then they do so i'm not really that that was never totally made clear to me what that was going for there um but uh at one point shelly knocks nigel outside hits a kind of a pescado onto him joe gets the choke on colt and nigel tries to shave but save but shelly actually holds him back and cabana taps so so that gives joe the pure title shot and leaves the match down to shelly versus mcginnis and i really thought that joe and nigel were the the two star players in the first part of the match in terms of just personality wise, you know, Joe, I thought was really good. Actually. I thought he was really, um, on, on this, on this night. And so when they get down to, uh, Shelly and Nigel, I think there's a bit of steam taken out of the match. Um, it doesn't feel like two guys fighting for a world title shot. You know, they try, but the crowd is actually, it's one of the most deflated points for the crowd of the whole night. honestly, Um, you know they weren't dead but they were deflated I guess Uh, Nigel and Shelly exchange strikes and Nigel gets an advantage with forearms then Nigel escapes the shell shock and catches Shelly's super kick and then Nigel hits a super kick of his own Um, and Nigel sort of goes after Shelly's arm he goes for that arm submission but (laughs) Shelly's able to escape without getting to the ropes locks on the border city stretch Nigel makes the ropes Nigel hits a couple hammerlock DDT's uh, Shelly kind of sells his arm as dead weight, but strikes with the other arm, and Nigel does the headstand again, and hits Shelly with the Tower of London for two. Uh, Shelly gets his leg on the ropes, and the crowd really does get up for that one. They, they really bought that near fall. Um, but Shelly comes back real quick with a swinging DDT, hits the shell shot, gets the win. Um, I thought Shelly's win just felt a little too sudden for me, especially considering how on the ropes he was, and, um, I don't know, they had to be disappointed with the crowd at that last that last point, because instead of kind of peaking for those final near-falls, they really only got into one of them and were much quieter after Joe left the match. Um, I guess, you know, on a show like this, they were a pretty hot crowd, so they had to have some moments where they were a little bit quieter. Um, unfortunately, the last part of this match was one of them. But I really did enjoy the four-way part of the match. I thought it was a lot of fun.
0: I pretty much have the exact same thoughts as you on this match. I, I thought the... the uh I, overall, I thought the match was good. I really enjoyed the first fall, the four way. I felt like it, there was just a lot of um, really good wrestling, like on the mat, you know, holds and counters between Nigel and Colt and Shelly, which is exactly what you want to see when those three are together. And I really liked, like you said, that dynamic of Joe being the one guy when he finally does get in, where he, you know, th- you know, it's not that Joe cannot do, can't do technical wrestling he does do some of it here but like that's not his bread and butter and he's kind of stu- it's, it's harder for him to deal with that and, he, and he's kind of annoyed by it like there's a great sequence when he finally comes in where um, Alex Shelley just puts him in like a in simple arm ringers and Joe's just trying to break it not through like wrestling but like by throwing punches and Shelley just keeps avoiding them and so finally eventually Joe does do like I think something like a leg sweep takedown or something to um, get him to the mat and then he just does like this ground and pound to shite Like he's really frustrated. Like finally I get to throw some punches at this guy and it's just stuff like that. Like the idea, like he's kind of frustrated that he's in this world that these other three are so good at that. He's, you know, that's not his main strength. And I really thought that was a fine dynamic. And again, I really like the technical wrestling, all three, the the three technical guys had with each other. And it was just lots, you know, tags in and out. So it was always kind of fresh and it was going at a good clip. And then all of a sudden, like you said, I felt like when the, the when it got to just Nigel and Shelly, even though on Perry you think that sounds really good, all of a sudden I thought all the momentum of the match just went away, and it's like they had to rebuild it back up. It's just like, it, it, I don't know, it's like everything just kind of all the air goes out once they're the start. They start the next fall, and I also felt like, like you said, I felt like the end where basically Shelley takes the Tower of London and there's a big near fall. If you watch the crowd, there into that near fall. Like, you know, they're counting along. They think it could be the finish. They're like, Oh, when, when, when Nigel doesn't get it, when he kicks out. And then probably within that minute, I think like Shelly does a very s- simple, mild counter to something. And then he just hits the shell shock and gets the win. And it is so abrupt and such a weird change against the momentum of the match. And uh, you even look at the near fall, the Nigel near fall for the tower of London. Like, you know, people are counting along, buying into it. The, the, Shelly near fall for the uh, shell shock that happens like two moves later. The crowd is completely silent for, and it's almost like they do finally pop a bit when the match is over. But it's like they didn't even – it was so abrupt. It was like the fans didn't even expect like that it was going to be the end, but it was. And then Shelly gets the win there. Um, I don't know what went wrong with that second fall. Not that it was the worst wrestling in the world, but it was just night and day difference from the first fall. Um, I think – sorry. go Go on.
1: No, I, I mentioned this on the last show. There's just something missing from Shelley in this iteration of him. you know he he does he doesn't feel like the star that he he did um when he was in generation next. Um, I guess it's because he's kind of hovering between like is he a good guy? is he a bad guy? Is he sincere? is he creepy like what's what's his deal? And I don't think anyone really knows what to make of him, so he does he just doesn't come off as a as as the charismatic star that he he did. And that he will in the future. It's this is kind of a limbo period for him. I don't think they really did right by him in this post-generation next period.
0: No, I I feel like he also missed a show or two. But yeah, I also feel like it just felt like like the whole like that's one thing I noticed during this match. Actually, that's that's a good point to bring up. Is um like they I feel like this this show is kind of a retcon where they kind of establish more that shelly's going a bit heelish again but a a problem we've talked about in recent shows that they continue to kind of do even during this match is kind of like it's not clear if shelly is supposed to be the the last few months where after generation x kicked him out he's been this guy on this big apology tour apology everyone most people haven't been accepting it it's not clear if we're supposed to think still it's not clear to me if it was he being disingenuous and everyone was right to to um reject his apologies or was he really being sincere and you know it wasn't quite fair to him because even during this match Gabe is on commentary like no one has accepted alex shelley's apology which again we know that's not true because cm punk did in the ring on one of these shows that whole segment where he after their match he went out of his way to be like you know like hey guys you know cheer for alex shelley you know he you know he means well now blah 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 and so I just feel like that's one of the things that hurt Shelley's momentum is it's so – this whole last few months has been so muddled what we're even supposed to – like
1: I don't know I don't know what we're supposed to think about his character at this point. To this day, I don't know if they were going for him being sincere or not because we know he eventually joins the embassy, but they never actually say like that was his plan all along or anything like that. Yeah, and I don't know if the idea was
0: for him to always be disingenuous and then it pays off with the embassy thing or if that was a way to kind of save what – like, like you just said, has been kind of a – lost at sea few months that where he's not maybe getting booked you know as well as he should be but, Right, exactly um a few other notes from this match uh another thing i think you mentioned too which was there are moments in this match where nigel and colt are kind of hesitant about if they should break up when the other guy's in a pin in the first fall and and commentary seems to act like oh it's maybe maybe like prazak and, and Gabe speculate well like well, um, maybe it's because, you know, they're, they they want the world title more than the other fall or, or maybe they want the pure title more than the world title, blah, blah, blah. And but yet I think watching the match, the intention was more to do like. Are they like that frenemy thing? Because Colt breaks up a Nigel pin, but Nigel near the end doesn't break up like Colt in the rear naked choke. And afterwards they have a little thing where like Colt is angry in the ring that Nigel didn't break the choke, which again is, is kind of weird because it's everyone for themselves. But I'm thinking the intention maybe was the idea that they're still supposed to be kind of friends and Colt's mad that Nigel didn't stick repay the favor, but again, it's another storyline where it's really muddled and even the commentary doesn't seem clear on it, which is bad, because one of the two commentators is the booker of the promotion, but um... CM Punk briefly comes back on commentary and he tries to do a voice that's, you know, like, Oh, his throats thrashed from the choking. And I just kept laughing because his voice that his impression of sounding like he can't talk sounds a lot like his impression of homicide. Like the voices aren't that far apart. So that kept making me laugh. Um, there was a really cool missile dropkick by Colt on Joe where he went almost vertical. It was almost like a, a stomp, which was really cool. Um, I, there was a moment in this match where Nigel gets sunset flipped by Colt, and he bridges out of a sunset flip pin, which I thought was really cool. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I probably have, but I, I just thought that was really cool. Um, One last thing. Let me just see here. Um, I'm looking at my notes. Oh, yeah. There was one weird moment I thought in this match where there's a moment where Nigel and Shelly are both down, and they're both going to make tags to the two Fresh Men. Shelly tags Joe. Nigel doesn't quite make it to cult, so then Ni- Joe grabs Nigel by the leg and he just kind of holds his leg and he doesn't do anything. Like he doesn't know what to do. He just—you can hear then Joe say, "Come on!" Nigel just kicks his leg free and then immediately makes the tag. And Gabe says uh, Joe was playing around too much, but it really felt like almost like Nigel was supposed to make the double tag or something because like Joe grabs Nigel's leg. If people watching this, and it's kind of like it just free- they both freeze and they don't know what to do. And Joe literally like says, I think he says something like "Come on," and then you get that. So it was just a weird little moment um that's that for that stuff that arm submission gabe is still calling that nigel begins arm submission that arm submission that if we had a t-shirt for this web for this podcast it would be a t-shirt that says that arm submission in a font that is the same as that 70s show that'll be one of several t-shirts yeah that arm submission but finally semi-main event world title match Ring of Honor World title match. Austin Aries and James Gibson went to a draw because of a double pin in 22 minutes, 38 seconds. Um... This was the, uh, I would say, probably the match of the show, but for me, not by much. I would give this like three and three-quarter stars, maybe bordering on four. It's a very good match, so it's not miles away from some of the other matches I've liked on the show, but I would say very good match. I I really enjoyed it. But this is another match. It's a little bit like the Spanky J. Lethal one, and I'm noticing this. I'm going to ask you, Matt, if you feel this way. With a loss of these Austin Aries matches... I pretty much have liked all his matches in the world title run, but I almost always, with maybe like the exception of the cult cage match, which is still like one of my favorite matches of Ring of Honor so far in 2005, I always feel like I enjoy it less than Aries' effort. Like, I always feel like Ares is giving a five star match level effort, and there's something about where I always go, Oh, uh, that was four stars. Oh, that was – you know, like like I, I always feel like the his effort is top notch and there's always something much like the Spanky J lethal match where I'm just missing something. And, I, and part of me was trying to think, what is it that I keep feeling like I'm missing in these matches? And I feel like maybe one thing is Aries doesn't really have a good – aura or persona as a champion like like gave in them they're trying to sell real hard that that aries is the fighting champ you know that he's they keep mentioning over and over again he's defending the title in all other in other promotions all over the world but like in the ring he doesn't really have like aries is kind of like joe indie wrestler where he's got some charisma but in terms of what he brings to the table he's almost too well rounded like he can fly he's athletic he can hit hard he can do mat wrestling he can do submissions he like Guys like when Samoa Joe was champion, he had a very definite aura and vibe and style where you could say that's only Samoa Joe. I think low key was the same way. I think Danielson, you know, Danielson had a definite presence that felt like it was only him. Aries doesn't quite have that kind of like that unique really well-defined character and presence where you go, this is an Austin Aries kind of match. This is this is an Austin Aries performance. It's just a guy working really hard who has a lot of well-rounded skills, and he's trying really hard, and he usually has very good matches. But this was one of those very good matches. Um, Gibbs, I, you know, how many times I going to say he's great at the little things, but he is. One of my favorite parts of this match, in fact, was just his comeback after be- being beaten down for a while. It's really simple, basic offense, but if you watch how urg- the urgency and his body language – like I got fired up watching it. Like he got so much out of so little. Like he's just a little spark plug when he when he makes comebacks. He has just really good intensity. And I think the most fun part of this match for me was just seeing how um into James Gibson this crowd was. Like James, Gib- James Gibson was more over than I remembered. Like in, in this match there's a brief moment there's a double pin at the end where the the end of this match is each guy, they do brain busters to each other, like I think five back and forth. And then finally at one moment, you know, um, Aries has, um, gibson down gibson kind of like lifts his legs up and kind of locks them with with aries above their heads and both their shoulders are touching the match so it's a double pin but after that double pin for a brief moment it looks like referee todd sinclair's awarding gibson the match and the crowd just loses their minds for like the five or ten seconds they think james gibson won the world title like it's kind of like the low it's not nearly this kind of reaction but it's kind of like what i would say the indie version of the chris jericho pop on raw when people thought he beat Triple H, where, like, for a second, they really are fooled, and it really is a big reaction, and then they quickly see, oh, no, it's going to be a double pin, but I mean, overall, very good match. I, I really didn't say much about the match, but hopefully that leaves lots of room for you, Matt. Like, what did you... Am I underselling this a bit? Because some people af- absolutely love this match. They think it's outright, like, really great.
1: Um, I, de- I did like the match a little bit more than you did. Not, like, eons more than you. Um, but I thought, I thought it was a great match. Not a top-tier great match, but... And I, I also I have a stronger opinion of Ares as champion than you do. Um, I I think this is his second best title defense that we've watched so far. Um, and I enjoyed the homicide match a good deal, especially the final part of it. Um, so that's not super light praise. Um, but I think his his shtick as champion is the fact that he's so well-rounded. And I think the, main, the thing that makes Ares unique as a wrestler... And like very, um, like this is Austin Aries, is his explosiveness, you know, the pop that he has when he executes a move, um, when he does his corner drop kicks, when he does his brain busters, when he does his crucifix bomb, when he does his, um, heat seeking missile, when he does the, you know, the, the spinning, like, uh, uh, body press off the apron move, you know, there's just like, there's a snap to the moves that he does and his, 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 uh, mannerisms are very Austin Aries, and i i think that that's that's a, that's good enough for me as far as what what does this guy bring to the table i think the reason that his his title matches don't have the aura that you want is because the crowd has not accepted a post samoa joe champion yet i think he had to follow the unfollowable and i also think that his character is not super developed at this point and um you know that's hard to overcome i think he's he's trying his best and he's doing a good job but i don't know how many people would have really been able to do a great job i think maybe if aries had kept the title for you know a year he would have developed into it because obviously his character does develop over time um but i think that's more to blame for his title matches not having that aura more than anything that is or is not true about him in the ring does that make sense
0: yeah, that, that, that does make sense. Like I could see like you were saying that his well-roundedness kind of is the character. Yeah. Uh, but I I think the thing that you, that rings true to me even though is like you said like he has an impossible job to live up to the Samoa Joe thing like I you know where I was like you, when you said that that made me think yeah I'm saying oh he doesn't have a persona like Samoa Joe but Samoa Joe is probably one of my favorite world title reigns in wrestling history so for me to say well he doesn't have as great a persona as a champion Samoa Joe that's that's a pretty high standard I'm giving him I guess
1: and you and you're <laughs> not the only one giving that standard you know yeah. at the time a lot of people were um you know and i and i don't know that anybody you know really lived up to that standard i mean you know even for a while into danielson's reign it took him a little bit to find his footing and his character that kind of led his title reign to be as legendary as it was at the beginning it wasn't i mean we'll see but at the beginning it wasn't anything super noteworthy um, but it became super noteworthy you know things sometimes need time and i do see his title reign improving you know in these final couple of months of his championship reign and this match was really good you know, but I think obviously Gibson was the standout here. I mean Aries is consistently really good, but Gibson was just something very special at this point. And um like you said, the selling, you know, he was still selling his back from the uh from the strong match um from the previous show, you know, which which added a lot of drama to the match. I liked the way that he would sell as woozy, you know, in his big comebacks. Um you know, I liked um, you know, some of the reversals. Um Um, But like like Ares got Gibson in the torture rack and Gibson just grabbed Ares' nose, which made Ares drop down into that Abyss-style move that we saw him do against Homicide on the last show. Um also uh when Gibson went for a tiger driver attempt and Aries reversed into a Boston crab, but Gibson turned that into a roll up and then Aries reversed that into his own roll up. And then Gibson escaped a backslide and got on the front guillotine choke, which Aries reversed into a reverse atomic drop. Like I think there were just a lot of really cool, clever reversals there aries went for the brain buster at one point but gibson escaped he hit a ddt went into the butterfly you know the the uh, submission move and the crowd really popped big for that one um i really felt throughout the match that the crowd really like you said really wanted gibson to win but also really believed that he could like like they thought that like this could be a title change you know gibson hit another tiger driver and he got a big pop for the near fall um uh gabe actually mentioned that gibson when he went for his moonsault hadn't done a moonsault in five years so i don't know if gibson told him that before or after the match he was like i'm gonna do the first moonsault in five years but i, I thought that was cute <laughs> that gibson made sure to note that to gabe um you know to i thought that was fun yeah um i i this is the one you know minor botch that i noticed was when Aries did the crucifix bomb he didn't hang on for the whole way down and that but it also gave a good excuse for gibson to kick out um um, also, um, I'm trying, oh, the, the other thing that I, I, I didn't really love about the match, kind of took it down for me, was the brain buster sequence. You know, I, I, I don't mind the repeated moves, but like a brain buster is supposed to be a pretty devastating move. And when they're just like reversing it willy-nilly, and like hitting like five of them each, and just like one, and then one guy hits a brain buster, then you just hit your own brain buster, it's sort of like, okay, what does this move actually do? You know? Um, I, 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 I don't know. Did you think that was overkill?
0: Uh, I I, I didn't think it was over. I don't, I don't know if they did five each. They probably did five or six between them, which is still – but they were doing it back and forth. But um, I, I think that does go to show though that like how hard – I think especially Ares, like I feel like he was trying to give that effort basically in every one of his matches. He maybe wasn't doing like five back and forth brain busters, but I, I think it goes again to show like – I feel like every match he was giving that insane level of effort where he was trying to have like a show stealing Joe level classic. And sometimes, unfortunately, I think sometimes wrestlers, they feel like the only way to top something is just to do more of the biggest thing, which, well, hey, my finisher's the brain buster. How about we do them back and forth like over and over again? Which, you know, a lot of Japanese wrestling went that way for a while too, which is just take your finisher, do it, do a crazier version every
1: time, you know? yeah then it became the uh the wrestlemania main event formula yeah, for yeah. I guess until Brock Lesnar came into the picture and then the formula was Brock Lesnar just uh doing lots of suplexes
0: um, then it was do nothing but the finisher just do f fives and suplexes get rid of the other part you know yeah. get rid of the wrestling
1: exactly um but um but yeah obviously, then they do the double shoulder thing i, I don 't know how how much I love that finish, but i i can't. I don't know. I get they do it so rarely that I can't fault them too much for it, you know. Um, it was a bit of a stalemate, uh, but no. <laughs> <I'm> just, um, <laughs> uh-huh,
0: it's a great name.
1: Yeah, but um, but you know, it's not it's not super pleasing when you're getting into a match to have it end like that. But in, in context, you know, I guess it's fine. I, I, I do always love when the crowd chants five more minutes, you know, especially when it's not even a time limit draw. Because I, I always wonder, like, why five? Why yeah. not like? Infinite Mormon, it's like you know why? Like to a finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why, like why? Because like why, what? What made them think that five minutes would even be enough for this? It's 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 just a weird logic gap that I find. For a it, time it, it, limit draw, it makes some sense, but not for a and ends in a double pinfall.
0: The only way five more minutes works is if you're, like, a five-year-old asking to stay up later. Like, you you can't ask for an hour. You can ask for five more minutes five times in a row, though, and keep beginning it that way. Like, I I still – I think we've said this before, but I would love if there was a match where the crowd chant five more minutes, they wrestled five more minutes, still without a finish, and then they stopped. And when the crowd chants five more minutes again, if the guys get on the mic and be like, look, we gave you what you want. (laughs) He said five more minutes. We would have done even longer, but hey, you said five Yeah, deal's a deal, and we 're going home now
1: yeah, I also think, and the opposite would be pretty funny, where they like they do five more minutes and then they just they like, do it like five times, <laughs> so they have like twenty five more minutes, but it 's all in five minute chunks.
0: It would be funny if you kept doing it if eventually the crowd would change like their chant. Like would they eventually go ten more minutes or like two more minutes? Like if you just made it so it was like an aries Brian Danielson testing the limit level match in five minute increments, like would would that start to fuck with the crowd?
1: I think I think if I, I think if I were a wrestler, I would do one where they would do five more minutes and like the at each 5 minute interval will get like slightly slightly less energetic until like <laughs> the, until they get really bored until they get really boring just so we could see if we can get them to stop asking for more time <laughs>
0: These are all reasons why we will never run a wrestling company.
1: That's right. Because
0: we would do stuff just because it would basically be a science laboratory for us. Yes. Like what if a human experiments? So you know, how, how would humans react if we did this to them?
1: Yeah. Until we get to there, no more minutes, champ. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: regret this. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, no. I uh, this was. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a great match. I, I just I didn't think it was match of the year level, but don't have to be. This was a great yeah. match.
0: Couple other notes I have from this: uh, there was a really bad, like nasty-looking, I would guess welt on Austin Aries' rib cage. They call attention to that at one point. I don't know where he suffered it, but like a big, deep red—I don't know if you call it a bruise or a welt—but he definitely got marked up on on this show. And then finally, I think I I kind of hinted at this. Wait, earlier that there was going to be a another kind of chant or something that i really liked this is one of my favorite this might be my favorite moment of the show ironically um so at one point gibson and aries are fighting on top of the turnbuckles and you can hear one fan go ddt from the top and then there's a bit of a pause and then you can hear another fan yell what is now my new favorite request matt this is what this fan you know could think of he just yells do something cool. All he, <laughs> says. he doesn't have an idea. He, the other fan had an idea. He just wants something cool. I, I just love. I if I ever go if there's ever live wrestling again, I might break that out during a moment. I might just say, do something cool, because yep. it, it was so earnest too. Like the fan was just like, do something cool. I know probably you'll do something. Do it. Like I just, I just,
1: I laughed. Yeah. I think my favorite was when I was in a crowd. Once somebody yelled, "Do a sunset flip."
0: just like random moves you want to see like I haven't seen a Russian leg sweep in a while
1: could you do that just a regular atomic drop that's what I'd chant for (laughs) let's see if we can Rick Rude this shit
0: so after the match, like you said, the crowd does chant for five more minutes. Ref Todd Sinclair gets on the mic and he actually says, look, this match is ruled a draw, but if both men agree, I'll restart it, which is interesting because usually the in these situations the ref plays the heel, but actually this time the ref's actually very reasonable. He's like, well, if both men say yes, we can keep wrestling. And So Gibson immediately agrees and Aries, he's, he gets on the mic and he kind of hems and haws. and he basically says, I need to think about it. I need to go to the back and rest a bit and I'll make my decision later.
1: And then, I feel like that's null and void at that point. Yeah. But You come back, like, uh, an hour later, and you're like, yeah, you know what, let's do five more minutes. It,
0: it felt like, to me, like, like it, that moment was kind of indicative of Austin Aries' character at this point, because it feels like he's still a heel, but they're not... Like, not all the way with him on a heel. Like, it's kind of confusing because, like, in this match, like, he's he's shaking hands now. Like, after the Homicide match on the last show, he wanted to shake Homicide's hand, even after Homicide cheated to try and beat him, which feels like a very generous face thing. But, yeah, in a lot of ways, he's still a heel. And I felt like this moment here, it was kind of like the booking... Like, they didn't want him – if you if you want Austin Aries just to be a pure heel, you'd have him be the chicken shit and just say, no, I'm not giving you five more minutes. If you want him to be the pure babyface, you'd have him say yes and then do what I'm about to say comes next. But instead, they do this weird middle ground where Aries is like, well, maybe. Give me some time to think about it.
1: I agree with and- you. That, that's the real problem with Aries at this point. It's not him. It's the way they're booking him and, and Shelley at the same time, which is like, what are they? What, like, what are they? Who are they? Yeah. The characters – are the issue to me at this point
0: so then at this point right as aries is giving his, you know i'm not sure give me some time um al shelley is snuck behind aries he hits him with the shell shock gibson then immediately pounces on aries and tries to wrestle him i guess he thinks somehow that means the match is restarted todd sinclair though pulls him off and he tells him it's over I, I can't restart the match now after that um aries makes his way to the back Gibson gets this frustrated. He's left alone in the ring, but he gets a very big extended standing ovation from the crowd as his music plays. Like the fans are really still happy with James Gibson, but I, so I guess this is partly kind of, I mean, definitely how they booked Shelley is putting him in a position to be a heel again because he's depriving the crowd of something they wanted. But it, again, it's, it's a weird thing because in a way, Shelley does have a reason to hate Austin Aries, and he does have a reason to, in a way, want Aries to remain champion, because he has the next title shot, and he might rather beat Aries for the title than James Gibson, so, again, yeah, like you said, this whole thing with the both of them is really muddled right now, but, um... Next, we have a clip that an on-screen graphic tells us took place earlier than I. In fact, it did. I think in the live show it took place like after the first two matches. But Bobby Cruz introduces local legend Pete, the Duke of Dorchester Do- Doherty, to uh, the crowd. The video immediately cuts quickly to Julius Smokes and Homicide attacking him, and Brian Danielson, complete in his ridiculous little toque, making the save. Brian ends up whipping Smokes into a Doherty fist. And we quickly end it's like a minute long clip if that as uh, homicide has a tantrum on the outside. so just a. I I think Gabe when he talks about that moment during the commentary for the next match, even says something like, you know we do we call that you know something for the for the live crowd or something like that? like Gabe's almost like kind of like apologizing that they even showed it, which is it was nothing it was', it was perfectly fine, but um you got a little thing there, and uh yeah, that leads us to the main event. Best of five series match number four, a lumberjack match. Brian Danson defeats Homicide via submission in 2446 with the Cal Mutilation. He ties it two, mat- two wins apiece. Um, Matt, is this the first lumberjack match ever in Ring of Honor history? I'm not sure. Yes it is okay Mm -hmm. good thank god um uh, well thank god you remember not thank god they finally had a lumberjack (laughs) match
1: um (laughs) oh my god what a relief a lumberjack match
0: (laughs) oh i was waiting so long but um (laughs) we finally you know it's we've seen a lot of danielson versus homicide how does this stack up
1: i want to see a new japan lumberjack match they don't have enough of those there um um so this match uh I, my opinion on it changed dramatically over the course of it. So, the, my first reaction, because I did not remember this fact, was who are all these choppers? Um, normally in a main event lumberjack match, typically you have the stars of the promotion out as lumberjacks. Am I wrong about this?
0: Uh, usually, because I mean, the idea is you have big, scary, intimidating people on the outside to, uh, keep the guys inside the match so yeah you want at least mid i would say at least mid-card level guys
1: right like i i remember like diesel against sid where like mabel is there and he attacks diesel and and sean michaels is out there and like and all this stuff and they're there they're getting into brawls and there's like side angles going on like that's a lumberjack match this was literally um students from the second roh wrestling school meaning people that the crowd wouldn't even recognize yet and a bunch of new england indie guys is what they said yeah. Um, so they, they make a point to say that love that the that the lumberjacks are too scared to do anything to homicide and danielson so but the, but they eventually do like use strength in numbers to throw them back in the ring, but it makes the lumberjacks look completely ineffective and um, and it makes them the point of the match seem silly um, so like, that 's a, a early negative uh, mark against the match. Um, the early work in the match is like, it's still good. Like Danielson, like struggling for every arm twist and doing lots of cool kicks and strikes and all this stuff. But you know, every time they go to the outside, it's sort of like, oh, these, these lumberjacks have no confidence. And so the (laughs) crowd is, the crowd is quieter than they've been. I think partially because they're tired and partially because this is just like, it just is weird. Like it's, it's just a weird thing. Like it's the Danielson and Homicide doing a match. Um, but, um but surrounded by jobbers and um you know danielson tries to speed things up after a little bit of like slow mat-, mat work he's aggressively attacking that homicide's arm snapping it over his shoulder repeatedly it hits the diving headbutt um you know gets the surfboard um you know homicide comes back hits a pile driver and he gets smokes to take a table from under the ring and throw it in the ring and he makes the lumberjack help him and lumberjack's just like okay <laughs> like like, and you could see almost the other lumberjacks like kind of looking at this guy be like like i don't know if they we're supposed to be helping one of the wrestlers but um yeah so he he put yeah. so the lumberjack puts the table in the ring um homicide does the stf on danielson but it's hard to pay attention to because like smokes and uh and the lumberjack are trying to get this table in the ring um <laughs> uh, they they tease uh, they tease throwing each other and suplexing each other through the table, um, but Danielson eventually he goes for the roaring elbow, but Homicide grabs him and hits the T bone suplex through the table, which gets the the dangerous. Um, um, so um, then they uh, they get to the big spot of the match. So this is where things start to change. So Homicide goes up top, Danielson catches him, he tries to suplex Homicide, but they kind of fall, they slip off the ropes and collapse, and and Homicide is kind of like hanging on the top rope, and Danielson drop kicks him as the crowd chants, one more time, and they go back to the well and Gabe says, what could it be? And at this point, it's pretty obvious what it's going to (laughs) be, but like, it's one of those things where you typically don't want to immediately redo the botched spot, but this time they kind of have to, because it's one of the most important spots of the match, basically what it is is... That Danielson superplexes homicide off the top rope to the floor, but caught by a whole pile of lumberjacks and it 's a pretty cool looking spot and I have to say like for a spot like that it 's pretty safe. you know it almost seemed like the entire reason the lumberjacks were there was to do that spot were they, suplex, were, they were Danielson suplexes homicide just onto a bunch of people.
0: Um, I'm going to ask you real quick. Honestly, would you rather take a regular suplex into the ring or take a suplex to the floor onto a pile of people that are going to catch you? Because
1: I might want the one to the floor, actually. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I don't want to take a bump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Look, that's, that's. I mean, that's. That's. it seems much safer. But it, looked, it was a very cool visual. Yeah. But the spot I liked even more, the spot that really got me into the match was after. When Homicide grabbed Danielson and airplane – I mean, Danielson grabbed Homicide and starts doing the airplane spin. But all the lumberjacks are there, so he keeps knocking Homicide into all the lumberjacks and he just knocks them all down. And then he collapses himself, but then he goes for another airplane spin and, does, and knocks down more lumberjacks and then runs Homicide into the guardrail while in that fireman's carry position i thought that was just so much fun just watching all the lumberjacks get knocked down um that was that was to me the spot of the match so far um but then suddenly one of the lumberjacks comes in and he does like a cobra clutch sl- cobra clutch slam onto danielson and takes out danielson while the other lumberjacks fight homicide on the floor so the match is completely broken down um so who, who what was the name of this this guy i know that this was a this is a known indie guy
0: he was uh, from EC Negro from places like Jersey All Pro Wrestling. And in fact, Matt, I just want to read this quick then. From PW Insider, um, as of right now – EC Negro's appearance at the Ring of Honor event this past weekend as the Lumberjack who attacked Brian Danielson was a one-time deal, but Ring of Honor management was really high on his work at the show. Matt, he did one move. (laughs) I don't get it. How can you be – like it was a good Cobra clutch slap. He literally comes in the ring, takes off his shirt to reveal a Rottweiler shirt, hits one move. That's it. I don't know how you can be really high on his work. He did it with Gusto. (laughs) that was a good cobra Clutch slam we ever need one cobra Clutch slam
1: again well timed you need need gusto that's really all it takes trevor (laughs) he got he's got that zazz but um so now smokes is in the ring he's he's choking out danielson with a bat and then we get the stars samoa joe and jay lethal come out they fight off smokes and uh and was it uh uh negro what was his full name
0: E.C. Negro.
1: E.C. Negro. See, I'm not yeah. – I mean I'm, I'm showing my ignorance here. My apologies. I'm not – I wasn't super well-versed in all the indies at this point. But well, um, well,
0: to be fair to you, they never acknowledge once who he is or that he's even an indie wrestler. They just go, oh, one of the – you know, one of the Lumberjacks has come in the ring and now is revealing a Rottweiler's T-shirt. Like they never plug him. They never even acknowledge who he is. It's just literally – it's never really dwelled on like what – is this a new member? It's
1: just something that – happens in the match yet he is the turning point of the match because yeah. this brings out joe and lethal and the crowd starts going nuts at this point and they they do an sto back suplex combo on on the on ec negro um joe hits the ole ole kick on smokes like now the match is fun you know now now things are getting good and joe continues to beat up smokes and rub it in homicide's face as homicide goes after him and homicide and joe gets face to face and joe headbutts him throws him back in the ring and gabe goes it looks like we've got a confident lumberjack now which is just like (laughs) ouch um a confident lumberjack um um I kind of actually like that as a like a title of a children's book, <laughs> but um, so that now Danielson and Homicide they do double cross bodies they're both down the crowd is like is up now um, they get back up Danielson hits a bunch of European uppercuts puts Homicide on top homicide reverses it puts danielson up top hits the top rope ace crusher gets two and like one of the fun parts in this segment is just joe on the floor reacting to all the moves like getting mad if homicide hits a move and like like cheering on danielson um homicide goes for a cop killer danielson reverses hits the regal plex with no bridge but homicide pops up and hits the lariat and both guys are like really struggling to get back up quickly. And Homicide goes for the cop killer again. Danielson hits another Rego- Regoplex this time with the bridge, getting the two count. And then Danielson goes right into the cattle mutilation. Um, and uh, since Homicide is like getting to the ropes, Danielson goes into that cattle mutilation roll-up thing. Um, gets two for that. Goes right back into the cattle mutilation. Homicide almost gets the ropes, but taps out before he gets there. Um so the first 15, 20 minutes of this match were weird. Um, the Lumberjacks, just like – it felt goofy, just like these nobody guys. I will say once they got to the floor, it got really, really fun. Like I was really into it in like the second – like the last maybe like seven, eight minutes of the match. So overall, I thought it was good. Um, it was – it took a while to get there though.
0: I uh, Another match, this is a show where we're very sympathical, where I, I agree pretty much completely. Um, the – the, the until the bells and whistles in that last third of the match, I was d- kind of disappointed in this match. Like it was good Brian Danielson homicide wrestling, like a lot of basic mat wrestling stuff. But there was a couple problems to that. One is, I like. Gabe does a good job on commentary and kind of giving a reason for why this is the fourth match step because he's like, he points out, you know, that these guys have been brawling out of the ring so often, which they have basically every match in the series so far. They've been crowd brawling. There was even between matches, there are segments where they're brawling in parking lots. So, like, this match is finally, this step is to put, make them stay in the ring. But, the problem is what that means is the, the idea of this match is these guys – the 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 best of five is these guys have wrestled so much that every step should make the matches a little bit different so it keeps it fresh. But for the first half to two-thirds of this match, you just get Brian Danielson and Homicide doing like their basic wrestling and the problem is, you, yes, we've seen these guys brawl a lot in the crowds, but we've also seen them do a lot of basic wrestling. So – it was all good, but all was very much, oh, I've seen this before, with the added like negative of occasionally, if it wasn't the, the ringside handheld cam, sometimes you didn't even get a great view because if it's like the hard cam, sometimes you're seeing a bunch of the lumberjack heads while these guys are just wrestling on the mat. And, you know, so I, it was kind of a... You know, a lesser version of something I've seen before. But then once they get into, like you said, like, you know, these st- spots outside, the table spot, you know, the big hot finish that you described in detail, you know, the run ins. And this is a weird match where, like, I really, I thought that stuff was great. And so overall, I thought this was a pr- very good match because Good solid wrestling that I've kind of seen before, but then all that exciting stuff. It's very rare I will ever say this in my life, but this is a Brian Danielson match where it was saved by run-ins and bells and whistles. Yeah, like, the- and
1: and, it, and it's funny because I read I read the Observer recap where they said that the main event was hurt by some of the outside interference stuff, and it was like, no, that like completely saved the match. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, it it's weird but this is one of the only times where I felt like everything from the table to the lumberjack spots at that point to the run-ins to you know all that stuff made the match way better.
1: I agree, yeah, absolutely. And I also thought this was like almost like a a a re- renaissance of Samoa Joe. I feel like this whole show um because he uh I don't know. He just he just had fire tonight. Like he was like, oh, like that's the Joe I know and love. Like there was kind of something missing from Samoa Joe the first few months of two thousand five. Like he never gets to fully do the McFoley angle. You know, he just he just doesn't do a lot of standout stuff. Now he, he just seemed like full of fire and you know P and V, um, piss and vinegar, not like penis and machine. <laughs> Um On uh on um on this particular on this particular night, and I I think he added a lot to the match just with his charisma
0: he's pissed off about that was new japan offer got got the fire in him that's right um so yeah overall very good match but i feel like it's very much a, a tale of two matches the airplane spins in the crowd i like too, like you said that was fun you know i like the superplex into the crowd and yeah if you ever want to see a, a wrestling a lumberjack match where the lumberjacks are scared of the wrestlers like there's there's two spots like each time danielson and homicide go out Outside the first time each of them do both times the wrestlers like beg off because like they Danielson and Hamas like threatened to hit the lumberjacks like I've never seen a lumberjack match where the lumberjacks are basically me like they're scared pussies where like oh do you need a ha do you need a, a, a table Mister Hamas okay I'll get that for you do you need a drink like it's just it, it's different it, it's different I can see a lot of people being annoyed but in a way before that second half of the match that was like one of the most memorable things about the first half of this match is that terrified terrified for yes, but um, but there is a story beyond that because I I thought I heard some kid talking smack to Julius Smokes a couple times. Turns out there's a reason why, Matt. I got some reporting here. Um, I dug in, learned more than just about EC Negro. This is from the Torch. At first, this is from the Torch. This first bit during Saturday Night's Ring of Honor event, some kids around ages nine or ten were being obnoxious in the front row. Finally, Manager Julius Smokes lost it and yelled at the kids, Go suck Michael Jackson's dick, you F-word for gay people. Smokes also called him an F-word for gay people a second time and added, Whiny bitch. The kids seemed unfazed and didn't want to leave even when their father offered to take them home. Later, one of them suffered a cut on his hand when Homicide did a move at ringside that knocked the railing into him. Now, Matt, it gets better. Um... Steve Montana gave a report to the PW Torch, a live report. He was at the show. He wrote in, when Homicide executed his tope con Hilo, he crashed to the guardrail and his boot smashed one of the kid's hands into the rail and cut the kid's finger. I overheard the kid say later, I want Homicide to sign my tissue that had some blood on it. So
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I will say this. It's hard to write on a tissue.
0: Yeah, I just want to say that kid. I love that, that kid. That kid had a hell of a night. I, I wish we could catch up to him now. He'd probably be, you know, in his mid twenties. Um,
1: yeah, I That, I was, that was actually the- Joe Cagney. No, I'm <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. No, nobody would would interact with Joe Cagney.
0: I love the idea that the dad said, like, do you want me to take you home after Julius folks called him slurs? And then later, the kid was, in fact, the opposite. He was like, he gets his hand cut open. It's like, can homicide sign the hand, the tissue? Like, yeah. What I, I, what I, what I find
1: to amusing to... is how, how in detail people really heard the conversations involving this kid and his father. Well, there is a
0: moment, I think, during, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think during the match, you can hear the kid call Julius Smokes that slur, like you hear a whiny young voice say that word. I think so. I think that kid and Julius Smokes were uh, that, that kid was getting a bad influence. That, that, that not cool. But uh, uh, you know, I, if I was that kid and my dad let me go through all that, I would probably say he's the best dad ever. But if I was that kid's mom or dad, I would probably say. That's a bad job of parenting. <laughs> the
1: I think the, ble- the home- bleeding part would probably be the most concerning.
0: Exactly, the kid yeah. comes home with a cut hand, and he's yelling at Julia Smokes. And anyway, um, so after the match, Joe and Lethal help Danielson up. So we got you know clear view of the babyface side here on a show where sometimes who's the face and who's the heel is a little confusing. Next. We get an on-screen warning. I believe we have never seen this before. Just words on a black screen that say, the following statement contains language that is not suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We then proceed to see a James Gibson backstage promo, where he says he was robbed by Ares and Shelly of a a chance to be a champion, and not just a cruiserweight, not just seen as a small guy. Gibson says he was stuck with his dick in his hand, and this is bullshit. He says Ares ain't fucking safe because he fucking deserves it. We hear Gabe say cut, and Gibson then walks off camera, although the camera follows so we can see it, with Spanky. You know, Spanky's trying to calm him down, and Gibson again just screams, bullshit!
1: Spanky and- is almost laughing he, <laughs> as, he, as he pulls Dip Gibson away.
0: So, this is kind of an infamous promo. If you listen to the NR Will Mention podcast, uh, they do a great job of imitating this promo. Yeah, in, Jeff in some- Schwartz does a great impression of this promo.
1: It's, it's fantastic. Kudos. Yeah, and
0: yeah, just just really good impression Jeff does of uh, but um, it's funny because I, I had hyped up so much. Gibson does not swear as, and especially with the the pre promo war, it's not as much swearing as I would have expected. But it's still more swearing than you're used to in a Ring of Honor promo, and it's you know it's the angry you know it's the angry swearing promo that maybe in a place like CZW you would see all the time, but you don't see that very often in Ring of Honor.
1: No, definitely not. You know, Homicide is probably the one who who curses the most, right, in his promos. And this is probably more than any individual Homicide promo.
0: And that brings us to the last segment – Um, elsewhere we join Alex Shelley in the building he's up in some rafters or something as we can see the rings being taken down behind him Shelley says if he could do the last four months over do the last four months over he'd probably do some things differently saying that generation next though has backed him into a corner and when you back an animal into a corner it comes out fighting Shelley says the difference between himself and any other animal is he learns from his mistakes Shelley says generation next was his brainchild his baby and he knows them better than anybody he says it's time for the hunted to become the hunter and for him to go back to what brought him to the dance if you pick up what well, he's laying down aries and strong then jump him from off camera but Shelley is able to completely avoid it and lay them both out and flee what i love after this is aries does this very corny line where he's like oh sherry's no like strong's like oh he got out of our way and aries is like he knows us too well and it's like it's the most like Matt, I feel like if I attack someone I knew and they, like, quickly dash out of the way, my first response would be like, oh, I was too slow or, oh, quick, shit, they got out of the way or they saw me coming. Not, Oh, he knows us too well like, <laughs> to, to, to jump out of the way. Uh, otherwise, he would have never jumped out of the way. But obviously they were trying to sell what Shelly was just talking about in the promo, which is Shelly knows these guys better than anybody, blah, blah, blah. But right clearly it definitely seems like again with the promo with shelly kind of hinting at things like how yeah, he do things differently and he's gonna go back to more what brought him success this feels like kind of a character reset and even more of an acknowledgement of like the booking for him hasn't been great like basically okay we're gonna go back to more of the healy jerky alec shelly not the alec shelly who's apologizing to everyone and everyone's telling him to fuck off yeah exactly And then, actually, we have one more thing. We end with a quick on-screen graphic for Chris Candido, who had just passed away. And uh, nice, touching, kind of in-memoriam thing there. And that is the end of the show. That is Stalemate. Um, Matt, I feel like this is a weird show. I I feel like, on paper, this is actually a pretty good card. And it was a, a good show. I enjoyed watching the show. I thought it was good. But it was interesting, I felt like, because... When you actually watch the show, it does come off not in terms of on paper, it's not a B show, but in terms of the results, it definitely feels like a show that is kind of a B show in that everything's about setting up the next run of big shows. Like, they don't really give away much here. Like, you think about the pure title match has no story to it, it's not going anywhere. Um, the, uh, the the world title match goes to a draw to set up a rematch that won't be happening in Boston. The um the rave punk match is turns out just to be an angle that sets up two matches between them that won't be happening in Boston. Um the four Way matches, is just setting up title matches that won't be happening in Boston. Even, even the main event, you know, Danielson versus Homicide is a match that just ties them up and sets up a bigger match that won't be happening in Boston. So I, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is I can kind of see why the Boston market would, would die. Not just the moving around, but basically kind of everything on this show was to set up bigger show, matches and shows elsewhere. And, but at the, at the same time, I thought this was an enjoyable show. There was nothing I would call quite great. There was a couple of things that got close. I know you would say Aries and Gibson was great. I wasn't far from great for me. It was a, it was a good enjoyable show. There was nothing I disliked on this show, but it, it's not an absolutely essential show. I would say.
1: Yeah, I guess you know it's one of the, another one of those expectations things because for me, like I never think much about this show at all. So for me, this was like kind of a sleeper show. Like it was better than I thought it would be uh you know even though the card was pretty good like I, I just don't think much about the matches on these shows and this show and it was good up and down like really the only like the worst thing on the show was probably the punk raves st- i really punk and cruel because the punk rave stuff was was fine it was pretty good um but like all the all like the like the substantial matches were were good and i do think at least one of them was great and i thought the main event you know had a great ending yeah. um so and and as far as the booking i you're right it was it was a b show in terms of booking um Definitely. But a good one. Yeah. It was sort of you like know, that. On, it was sort
0: sorry. Well, I was just gonna say on paper the lamp looks really top notch because they're giving you ares Gibson for the world title for the first time. They're giving you a Wraith Punk match in the middle of a big feud. It's just that, you know, those matches both end up kind of just being setups ups for bigger
1: matches. Yeah, yes yes and no. Because, you know, You know, this was like the early stages of the Punk Rave feud, in the sense of like they haven't had many matches yet. I guess it wasn't a long-lived feud, anyway. Um, The you know the 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 the, they have a four-way for title shots, which is never like the top kind of match you can have. And the Aries and you know you knew that Danielson and Homicide were in like we're not going to finish their feud here. Yeah. And Gibson versus Aries, while a big match, it wasn't a match they had really built much. There hadn't been really much interaction between Gibson and Aries. So it's not like it was like a payoff of something big. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. It, it, it kind of read on the card as like a, a B-plus show to me rather than a pure B-show. But it ended up being a lot like Back to Basics, but I think a step above it in terms of the quality yep. of the matches. Um, I would agree this is better than Back to Basics. Yeah. And, and so I thought this was a good sleeper show. As far as the booking, um, I also thought this show marks a moment where I feel like they really start getting a real direction for the year. Because I think yeah. in the early part of the year, like I said, there was a lot of drop stuff, whether it's Joe and Foley, um Carino, um, Stevie Richards, um, <laughs> you know, just anything involving the Super Juniors tournament, um, even the Trent acid thing. And now it's like everything on this show is a direction they're going in, and you know they're gonna go in that direction. Whether it's continued stuff with with Gibson and and Aries, you know, Aries and Shelly are gonna have their match at the next show. Finally, um, strong is going to continue to develop as a star um punk and rave are going to you know have a couple more really major matches in their feud joe and the rottweilers feud with lethal is going to heat up again um on the next show so you know they 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 really are um they really are kind of getting their footing i think this show kind of marks the beginning of what will be the true direction of 2005 so i appreciate it on that level too so i thought all in all this was this was kind of a sleeper show for me this was a a, a quite good show um That kicks off a pretty good run for ROH over the next couple months.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking back to what you were saying during the main event about feeling like this was kind of like a rekindling for Joe, like kind of him really – kind of sparking back up again. And I feel like the same thing again where we we're saying like Alc Shelley this feels like kind of a reset for him. Like it, it does feel like, you know, kind of like the start of something new now after the first quarter that like like I was saying it does feel like this felt like a show where they're putting every like chess piece in position for the end game with the if the end game means a run of really good shows. But like, you know, they're just get everything set up and unlike like like you just said, unlike the first quarter where they've tried a lot of things that didn't really come to fruition this time. They're going to come to fruition. So yeah. Um, so that wraps it up for our show. If you want to contact us through the years at gmail.com is our email. That's T H R O H. Um, at Trevor game on Twitter is my Twitter handle at mayor M G F for Matt is his Twitter handle. We have a thread on the pro wrestling only plugs forum. And next time on the show, Matt, we will be covering a show we've been looking forward to. I know you especially yeah. for a long time. Manhattan Mayhem, considered to be one of the best, maybe the best Ring of Honor show from top to bottom of all time. I, I, so did, you- I
1: did. I will just say in a preview, I did not attend that Matt Manhattan Mayhem live, but I got it. So I attended the show, the New York show that came after it live and then immediately got the Manhattan Mayhem DVD. And I will say Manhattan Mayhem is the show that made me a diehard ROH fan. This show would not be a podcast if I had not got the Manhattan Mayhem DVD in June of 2005 and and, and watched it like that. Like it's, it's the show that hooked me for sure.
0: So that's what people have to blame. Um, <laughs> but uh, just, I mean, it, it, that show is known for being great talk to bomb. It's one of those shows that I have such good memories. I'm almost scared to revisit it, but I'm sure it'll be great. I mean, we got Joe versus Jay Lethal for the pure title. We have the return of low key. We have, um, So much stuff I'm for – oh, Alex Shelley versus Austin Aries for the world title that was just set up. We have Jay Lethal versus – C. I mean no, uh, Jimmy Ray versus CM Punk in a dog collar match. Like just a loaded show, Ring of Honor's big triumphant return to the New York market. You know, since they've done a couple shows in New York State before, here they come and they're they're here to stay after this show and really exciting to finally get to that show. One of the big 2005 shows and that's what we'll be covering next time on Through the Years. Um, until that time, until next time, have a good time, have a great time.